Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Well, it is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of their favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom they have to offer. Today, I sit down with DJ Mausner and sip on some cold Budweiser beer. DJ now resides in LA, but back when she was living in Toronto, she was one of those performers for me that if I saw she was performing in a show, I was in. I was there. I didn't need any other information about the show. She is a current member of the Upright Citizens Brigade's Characters Welcome cast, and on screen, you can see her in HBO's Insecure and CBC's sketch series, Tall Boys. In 2019, CBC named DJ one of 15 Canadian comedians to watch, and Now Magazine has dubbed her one of their breakthrough Toronto stage artists of the year. She is also a professional writer, writing for TV shows like This Hour Has 22 Minutes, Gary and His Demons, and The Baroness Von Sketch Show, which she even won a Canadian Screen Award for Best Writing, Variety, or Sketch Comedy. So DJ is a stand-up comic, a sketch artist, an improviser, a TV writer, and someone I admire immensely. Hi, DJ. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for being here today with me. I'm very happy to be here. This is going to be a blast. It is. Oh, um, and we're drinking Budweiser. And you know what I thought for a second when you when you suggested Budweiser? I was like, is this because you have some leftover from your every cooking video in 2010 or 2010 (laughs) uh, filming? And I was like, well, no, maybe she just maybe you just bought a bunch of Budweiser. It was um, (laughs) at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, all right, well, you know, maybe I'll buy some beers to keep in the house. And I had bought a couple like six packs of Tallboys of Corona because I was just getting it from the grocery store, basically. And uh I like I have friends in craft beer who probably are seeing me drink this and they're like, what the fuck is your problem? And at one point I just bought a six pack of tall cans of Budweiser because, you know, sometimes nice cold Bud bag of chips, you know, that's a night. That's a night. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, And what's the like what's the go to flavor of chips with Budweiser? I couldn't say. I mean, Miss Vicky's jalapeno probably. (gasps) Yum. You know, I've been going original like so often. Lay's and Miss Vicky's original. I don't know what it is. And my friend who is obsessed with chips like makes fun of me for it. She says I'm so boring. But there's something about just like a little bit of salt on a crispy chip with some beer. Mm. It's like. Yeah. It's nice to have a little stability when the world is, you know, spiraling <laughs> out of control. To just be like a plain chip's a plain chip, baby. Listen, I just want that. an everyday fucking chip. I just want an original <laughs> chip. A hundred percent. Um. Okay, I I am so excited. All day today, I was like so nervous. And then I, I checked myself and was like, these nerves are excitement. It's like before you go on stage, you know, and you're like, right. I'm so nervous. I'm going to have to pee. And you're like, no, I'm just excited because um, I feel like a loser admitting this, but that's what this is about. I have wanted to speak with you for so many years, DJ. <laughs> One time in Bad Dog Theater, you were talking to, I, I don't even remember, you were talking to somebody, it was like after a show or something, and I went over, and I actually thought you were someone else, so I didn't even have the courage to talk to you, I forget who, I thought you were someone else, like from behind, and I went to approach you and said something, and then immediately you turned around, and I was like, 
oh my God, fuck, it's DJ. Like, I, th- what I just said makes no sense. I attempted to have a conversation with you, knew I was failing, bailed, and never got up the courage to talk to you again. So I'm so excited to talk to you today. I don't know if this is soothing or um, hurtful, but I can tell you, I don't remember that at all. So Good. I hope you haven't like spent nights awake being like, uh, I know I do that. I replay these tiny moments and I'm like, well, uh, guess I'll kill myself, you know? Yeah. Uh, just yeah. like super stressed about them, but yeah. I, I'm more than happy to talk to you too. <laughs> <laughs> I it, it I will say it was I have those interactions too where over and over in my head I'm like, "Oh, they think I'm an idiot. They think I'm an idiot." That one I actually felt pretty good about how I played it off. It was a fail in the sense that like I didn't connect with you at all. I was not myself. Like it just I accomplished nothing other than like a smoke screen. So, <laughs> I felt okay, but I just was like, "One day I have to actually talk to you um so I'm very excited to do that today and chat with you a little bit and I've done some research so I'd love to sort of like chat about some different parts of your life and your career yeah, that's let's uh, do it. that works okay great so you started stand-up at 16 years old is that right yeah it was like um 15 16 that I started um I first started by writing jokes for a friend who was interested in doing stand-up at the time, mm. uh, which made no sense because I had never done it before myself <laughs> and I was a teenager. And I think all I had seen was like, you know, clips on YouTube. But I wrote some jokes for him and he would do them at this open mic at the Free Times Cafe where I would do musical stuff with another friend of mine. And uh, then he went off to university and I found through Facebook a stand-up comedy competition in which I actually met Sam Burns and uh, Sam Feldman, the two ah. Sams. Yeah, for the first time. And Sam and I have been like friends ever since. I've done uh, Sam Burns and I've been friends ever since. I've seen Sam Feldman off and on a couple times over the over the past whatever how many many years it's been. And yeah, did that comp- competition did not place. Did not play. Sam came in first. Sam Burns came in first place. <gasps> Good job, uh, Sam and Burns. Then, yeah, the funny thing was, I think we talked about this later on, we both got uh, homegrown or new faces the same year. And then I won that. So I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was being like a piece of shit. Um, but yes, I started when I was quite young. I, I got a... Many Torontonians know you can go get novelty IDs uh, in Dennis West Square. Not Dennis West Square. Dundas Square. Wow, Dundas West Square. My brain is literally atrophying throughout quarantine. I agree. Yeah, I'm totally there with you. And podcasting is a great thing to do when you just can't find the words and you're also worried people think you're a fucking idiot. It's a great exercise. You're like, I promise I know. Yeah, when you're like, I'm afraid I'm an idiot, you're like, maybe I should record everything I say and just sort of put it out publicly just to check. Yeah, to Uh, people that I admire and are intimidated by. I'm like, I know my first impression with you, I am an idiot and I have zero vocabulary. Yeah, I'm totally with you i can't think of words ever so yeah no yes yeah yeah dundas um, west square yeah yeah dundas west square <laughs> bathurst spadina station yeah um dundas <laughs> square went and got a fake id and then was using it to do open mics i forget the name of the place now and i really shouldn't because it's not even like it's been closed that long but i remember doing a show um uh in the bar that was like attached kind of like beside honest ed's mm. i forget what it was called but you know what I'm talking about? It was like a real, it's just a fun oh, hole in the wall bar that closed down even before the pandemic, I'm pretty sure. But in any case, I did a yes. show in there and like, mm-hmm. was do, you know, with, with this ID and, um, yeah, I started, I kind of stand up. I was like, oh, that's what comedy is. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, that stats, that's comedy, even though 
pardon me, I was doing, geez, I'm like drinking a carbonated beverage, being like, <laughs> like puking in between my answers. Well, and we're Christ. like, hey, let's drink beer. That was another oversight on my part. On every podcast I drink beer, I'm like, like pulling myself away from the mic, so trying nasty. to burp. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's ASMR. Yes. It's fine. It's all good. Yeah. People love to hear me sort of just vomit into their ears. They pay good money for that. So, um, but yes, so I, uh, uh, st- yeah, I was like, stand up is what comedy is when I first started mm. doing mm-hmm. comedy, even though I was doing some teen classes at Second City as well. I was like, oh, that's what this is. And I kind of stopped doing it a bit in university and then was like, you know what? I need to get back on the horse because it'll help me write. I was like, it'll help me continue mm. to write jokes. And then because in Canada, that's one of the clearest paths as a comedian is like, if you do improv, you're like, yeah, second city I'll do bad dog. I'll do, but it doesn't feel like there's a long-term trajectory. Mm-hmm. Whereas stand up, it feels like there's more of a beaten path. So, at, you know, being a novice, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to double down on this. And then that was a, the first kind of like leg of stuff I did, um, while being complimented by uh, doing improv and sketch and then slowly kind of crossed over into other stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. It did start stand up very young. Well, yeah. And it's amazing. Cause I was thinking like, I was trying to picture myself at 16 and think like what was the allure of stand-up I mean I I I always wanted to do stand-up it was just so not always wanted to do it I loved storytelling but was so fucking terrified about being like I'm here to make you laugh like that Mm. sort of transparent necessity that you have to have when you like walk on as a stand-up terrified me and I was so intrigued to think like at 16 what was the allure of stand-up for you but it makes sense if you're thinking okay well I want to work in comedy and like this is the thing that makes the most sense and yeah 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 Yeah, it was definitely in part that sorry go ahead no no I was gonna say and then I'm thinking like on top of that you just have and okay I should also say that throughout this podcast I have so many ideas of like ideas of you that I am saying but I am acknowledging I'm putting them on you because none of these could be true. Absolutely. My experience of you is very limited as a huge time admirer and fan. But you just seem to have like the biggest guts out of honestly like most people I can even think of <laughs> to think at 16. And then also I'm thinking, so you lived in Toronto. You moved to Montreal. Was it for school to go to McGill? Is that why yeah. you moved to Montreal? Okay. And then move back and then moving to LA. And I'm thinking like, what was it like adjusting to the different comedy cultures or like entering the different comedy cultures in those three areas or those three places? Yeah, well, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate oh. it. I feel like uh, in all honesty, it's like a mix of having um, like an immense amount of pride and also a very stern moral compass like uh, my Mm. my mom's catholic and my dad's jewish so double the guilt double the fun it's forced (laughs) me to be this like i need to do what's right feeling uh in a light that's the light explanation of it but yeah that and um also just being like well you know no one's gonna do this but me (laughs) you know just being like if i want to do it it's my responsibility to do it so Mm. but yes um the moves were interesting my first move to montreal i was like hell yeah let's fucking do this like i i i'm not a very um like 
physical or location-based sentimental person. I, mm. I'm a minimalist. My, my writing partner, Kevin Schustak, who loved to pieces, absolute genius, uh, who I've been working with for years, we lived together in LA, and him and I are both, like, you know, weird fucking robo people where we had to, like, buy knickknacks for our apartment. We're like, we look... <laughs> We look unwell because our walls are bare and we're just like beep boop. Like that's our whole thing. So because we basically both of our like um, nostalgic or like uh, uh, sentimental uh, items are books. Mm -hmm. So we had lots of books. But other than that, it was like nothing. So, yeah, I'm I when I was finished high school, I was like, see you fuckers later. Bye. You know, (laughs) I I have a couple friends from high school that are still like my lifelong friends. But otherwise, I was like, no, thanks. Moved to Montreal (laughs) was first like, I'm going to party. I'm going to have the best fucking time. I'm going to be the coolest girl. I'm going to be the coolest person. (laughs) And uh, went, you know, signed up to be in the residence that was known as the party residence. Two weeks in was like, yeah, this is absolutely not my scene whatsoever. (laughs) Oh, no. Fuck. That's like a big thing to real. Like, (laughs) well, and it's so hard to know. I don't know if you felt this this way, but like as as a as a grade 12 student, I found it so hard to figure out universities to go to. I didn't have like an older sibling and most of my friends were the oldest or like only children. Like they didn't have people to tell us what universities were like. So you go on these little tours. If even you go to the university for a tour, Mm. you've, you've no idea like what you're getting into. And then you get there and you're like, this is, this is like probably around four years of my life now. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild to put that decision in the hands of a teenager, but it's also like, Yeah, I mean, the advice that I give to, like, if young people are like, what university should I go to, or does this matter, da-da-da-da, I'm always like, you will find a way to do whatever you want at any Mm -hmm. university, regardless of what program you're in. Some Mm -hmm. programs will set you up better with connections than others. The greatest advice, greatest advice, the best advice, rather, I can give you is to choose uh, to go to university in a city you want to be in and could potentially Mm -hmm. see yourself living in for a couple years after. Because Mm -hmm. if you start putting down your roots there, especially if your priority is in school, it's performance outside of school, it's going to feel jarring if you're like, well, actually, I don't like this place, but here's where all my connections are. I feel like I have to stay or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, I, I'm lucky. I had a couple older siblings, uh, but I, I already knew uh, before going to university that I wanted to do comedy. I applied to, uh, to McGill for teaching pre-K through grade six because I really like kids. Aww. And I was like, I think I could teach, you know, summers, weekdays, and then nights, weekends, um, or rather school year. And then nights, weekends, summers, I'll have off to uh, do comedy stuff. Mm-hmm. And then a friend's older brother had gone to McGill. So I'd been to Montreal a couple times just visiting with her and her family, like hanging out. Um, so I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this. And then immediately was like, I- I've always been, I feel like this is a bad mark on my personality, but I've always been a student council person. Like I was <laughs> on student council in high school and in university and did that whole fucking thing. I feel like I'm, I've chilled out. But I used to have like extreme student council president energy where I was just like, let's go! It was like so oh, peppy. A hundred percent. I am like, when I saw Parks and Rec and saw the character Leslie Nope, I'm like, fuck, that's me. <laughs> like that's, and like all the things, like, yeah, totally. I'm still trying to convince myself, like just embrace that shit that is, and not feel like a loser because of most yeah. of those things. Well, I feel I like totally there's feel you. been a, like a cultural curve, you know, like there was a time where mm. everyone was like, and Hathaway sucks. Nah, nah, nah. Cause she has like big, <laughs> you know, uh, high school president energy. Totally. And then later people were like, why is everyone so weird about that? Like it's actually nice 
and she seems like a good person and she's getting stuff done so it's fine <laughs> also i love that you i know you said it but it was the visual seeing of you having the budweiser i was like we're in this together we're in this <laughs> and the first sip i had i have to tell you i had a sip of it and i was like fuck it's been a long time since <laughs> yes. I've had a budweiser. not very good and you know what it's not bad i mean to be honest it's cold and any cold beer other than sours. I don't like sours, but otherwise, to be really? honest. Yeah, I can't do the sour. Is it controversial? Mm-hmm. Well, it? yeah. I feel like people are like, I mean, I dated this person who worked in craft beer, and I'd be mm-hmm. like, hey, sour. And, the, you know, he would always roll his eyes because he would be like, yeah, that's like what is popular right now. But I liked Ooh. it because I'm like, most beers, like you said, unless it's ice cold. I think that's why it's good with chips because you can't taste the beer. Look, Budweiser <laughs> so is much the- much salt, it just burns <laughs> yeah, your exactly. whole mouth. And you're like, this you're is like, great, this right? Is delicious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Budweiser is the king of beers, and I hate monarchies. So that's that. Um, <laughs> so fuck Budweiser. They're yeah. not a sponsor. Yeah, they're going to be like, what They're the not going to be now. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're going to see the photo of me smiling, like the selfie <laughs> holding my beer, and then hear the podcast and be like, Budweiser tastes like piss and shit. <laughs> This is night and day. Like, we yeah. feel very tricked. Okay, I have to ask you, what were the knickknacks that you and Kevin bought? Or, like, what were the go- – what did you think <sighs> in your head? Like, we need knickknacks. Like, we need tiny gnomes. Like, what is the knickknack that comes to your mind that you need? Like, being an impression of a real human being. We, like, went to Ikea <laughs> yeah. and got, like – I'm sorry, my neighbor's motorcycle – uh, is revving in the background. Can you hear that? I, I I'm actually sorry if I'm can't hear it. I can't hear okay, it. Good. Uh, yeah. I just want to seem cool. I just want to seem like a robot. I'm like, yeah, my neighbors rock and roll bands playing. Um, but They're calling uh, me over there. I need to be yeah, over exactly. to so, yeah, I play practice. bass over yeah. there. So. Uh, uh. The knickknacks that we got literally were like Googling like what do human beings have in their house, essentially. Like we got this basket from Ikea that's like, Looks like it's wire and geometric. And then we got a bag of wicker balls. Like, you know those oh, yeah. things that are in, like, Airbnbs, and you're like, what the fuck is this? Yes, or in and it has every, no purpose. like, home decor. Like, it's on the coffee table with a bunch of the balls. Sometimes it has pine cones in it, like, in the yes. fall. Yeah. Uh-huh. We had it on a glass table, like, under the table, so you could, like, see it. So it wasn't, like, look at our wicker balls but it was like we have them we certainly have we have them but we're not like shoving them in your face yeah like i have a friend i have a friend uh my buddy andy has like 12 barometers on his wall and it's like quirky (laughs) and fun or my buddy in um montreal james watts is this like he's such a this lovely man who has all these hobbies and who also was like extremely talented and he has like stamp collections record collections like all this stuff and i'm just like Fuck, I, the only thing I've done since I was a 15 years old is comedy. It's my whole personality, <laughs> yeah. and I'm annoying outside of that. So. It's hard to know what knickknacks. Okay, so I'm like the opposite to you in that I am a hoarder of – I attach sentimental value to every single tiny <laughs> little thing ever. But I also am super indecisive and terrified of commitment, so I have, mm. no, I have basically nothing on my walls in my apartment. I've been there for over a year. The only things I have on my walls are – up using those like command strip velcro that i can just take right off if i need to like what if i don't want like it gives me anxiety to put up a clock because i think well what if i don't fucking want the clock there next Mm. week like then Mm -hmm. what am i gonna do i think the velcro is smart that's a good like you know 
uh, those uh, things you choose to do that are within your abilities, you know, like uh, I read this article or about, or maybe it was a, t- a Twitter thread about uh, people like adults who have ADD or ADHD and they're mm. like, I, you know, my, ha- my apartment is messy. Uh, I constantly tell myself, you know, put your coat on the hanger, put it in the closet. And uh, I'm telling you this and I'm like, this is so uninteresting. Why am I talking about this? But I'm going to, con- I'm going to really power through anyways. No, like, double down. I want to hear double down on this. <laughs> of like, you know, my, I'm putting my closet, my jacket on the hanger and putting it in the closet. Uh, but, you know, I do that two days in a row and in the next five days I'm just throwing it on the couch because mm. there's just too much going on for me. And their solution was not to like, you know, self-flagellate, but instead to be like, okay, I'm just going to get a coat rack because I can just toss it. It's one step. So all this to say, I feel like it's not about being like, I have yes. a problem. It's more about being like, what are my limitations and how do I work within them? So yes. basically a long way to say, good for you. <laughs> Good well, thank for you. you for the validation. And also, I mean, I really appreciate how caring and considerate of you that even <laughs> though you were like, why am I telling this story? I'm going to keep doing it because it's for her. And I appreciate that so much. My Velcro is my coat hook. And I <laughs> thank God for that. I love that. And I also love that you went to Ikea for knickknacks because my thought is like, go to like a garage sale yeah. that has like little... Like, we went to this history. flea market and yeah. the, but the thing is in LA the flea market and to be fair I think mm. all artists should be charging like a ton for their prints their sculptures their whatever mm-hmm. but the flea market in LA is like people with different stands who like you know you're you're paying $120 to get like a print that's like you know a triangle on top of a circle with yes. like a stripe through it which to be fair gorgeous print I'm not gorgeous. trying to be like it's a triangle but I mean more like <laughs> I can't I don't have I'm broke like I don't have enough money to pay for that and if I got it I would want to get like three and have like the triptych above the couch and I certainly don't have that amount of money so it's like yeah it's it's that kind of thing where I feel like there was a I was only I I ended up only being in LA for nine months because I moved and then uh, I was supposed to come back for the CSAs in March and the Mm -hmm. pandemic happened so I was like I'm gonna come back a week earlier and then I've been in Toronto since then so um God bless to that. But uh, <laughs> I didn't bless. get to explore everything. Yes. And because of that, I I feel like there are certainly those places in L.A. Uh, I just mm-hmm. didn't find them yet. But, yeah, we did that. I also got this uh, jar. Um, it's, I think, the guy who made it is an illustrator who's pretty popular on Instagram, Adam something. And it's a jar that just says feelings. It's like F-E-E-L-I-N-G-S. And it's the feelings jar. And I just thought it was cute. I was like, maybe I'll put a plant in there. And then, of course, it just <laughs> was on the counter because I was like, okay, like, what do I do with this stuff? It has no purpose. <laughs> Everything in my house has a purpose. I'm has like, okay, purpose. this is like, I, I, I like building up my room because I was like my bed's gonna be super comfy because that's gonna be like my zone and I have my work desk because I'm somebody who spreads all my stuff out when I'm writing and I was like these are the things that are important to me and then I had to go get some fucking wicker balls so people didn't think I was iRobot now look at me now pandemic <laughs> now happened look at and that's you. why pandemic yeah. and you're stuck with the wicker balls in your apartment yeah. that you can't even be in exactly fucking covid man fuck it I'm yeah, yeah I totally I totally feel you on that and also if you don't want to have wicker balls just have a robot apartment. Yeah, Espe- I guess so. You know, you're allowed but to have a like robot. A, looks like a fucking Planned Parenthood waiting room. It's like <laughs> just yeah, like, like it's cold. It's cold. Like it's not like unwelcoming. Yeah. I mean, God bless Planned Parenthood. Love it to death. Been there multiple times. But you're like, this is not a home. This is a business. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it feels. It feels like a business. <laughs> right. Like it's not cozy. It's not lived in. Like it, or it doesn't. And maybe also it doesn't feel like it reflects your personality or reflects who you are yeah because maybe like, yeah. 
I love interior design. I follow a bunch of different blogs, like, uh, and that sound that made me sound like I was six hundred years old. I follow interior <laughs> design Instagram accounts. I'm up on all my blogs, my interior design magazines, and uh, I love like I mean, I, a famous kitchen that I, the internet went gaga over was Dakota Johnson's Green Mid Century Kitchen. Uh, it's you should it's oh it's gorgeous. I did not see. Is it you in the video where they do like a walkthrough of her house? Because that has mm-hmm. been in my watch later list for so long. I just yeah. need to wa- okay. If it's Vogue 73 questions or whatever the amount of questions it is, 100 questions, I don't know. Yes, uh, yes. That uh, it might not be her place because I know sometimes they just like walk people through a random Mm. place. Oh. Or maybe they do it all the time. I'm not entirely sure. They do? I didn't know that. I think they do because there's been multiple times where you see them walk through and they're like, oh, yes, my closet. And they open and there's nothing in it. And I'm like, oh. (laughs) You're like, that's a lie. And then I'm like, yeah. And then I'm also like, oh, maybe like they're huge celebrities. So showing the inside of an apartment would have stalkers be like, I know where that blue, you know, I can find a blueprint for that or whatever the fuck. Um, But maybe not. Maybe I'm totally making this up. In any case, that kitchen. And then I feel like I really like things that are clean but warm. Um, Mm. Bright colors, lots of sunlight um, or uh, like white and lots of sunlight and then touches of bright colors. But that's money. You know, again, if I feel like my pipe dream, in my wildest dreams, I own Mm. a house. Mm. Wildest dreams. That's the top for me is owning a house. Owning a house. Wow. In this economy, that's a dream. Oh, DJ, I know. My partner and I are like, I'm saying are trying to purchase a place together, which is like our trying is probably like a 10 year journey. Like who knows? <laughs> mm. And we just got a hard reality check when we talked to a mortgage broker and they told, so we were like, we were expecting low and then we actually found out how much of a mortgage it could be approved for. And I was like, okay, so we can afford to like, purchase half of my parents like a corner of their basement yeah for like a discount like there's no Uh. way owning a place was never I think as soon as I actually solidified like yep uh this is the career path I'm going I completely threw out ever thinking of owning a piece of property oh yeah exactly the bank is like what do you do like they don't understand yeah and you're like um I have a um and they're like okay so you're gonna get four (laughs) dollars and you're like okay thank you yeah and it's what did I expect yeah (laughs) yeah it's like the mortgage broker themselves is like slides a five across the desk I'm like I feel so bad here you're gonna get five dollars and like do you want like a coupon to McDonald's because <laughs> yeah. I'm worried about you? Oh, 100%. Anytime I go in, like even if they're like, oh, you're pre-approved for a credit card. And I go in and ask them, they're like, okay, so what do you do? And I just, I just am like, I'm just going to walk out. Like I just slowly yeah, leave the I office. Know. Well, There's that's no like a, when I was in LA, I, I got a, finally got uh, an American bank account. I was mm-hmm. like, well, you know, that makes more sense. And hopefully I'll be getting some American money in there soon. Yeah. And the guy, I got a credit card, and he was like, great, so you're pre-approved for a line of credit of eight, or like a credit card with the limit of eight grand. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no. I literally, because I'm a stupid idiot, I was like, no, delete that. <laughs> Take at least one zero no? off of that. <laughs> yeah, no. Do you mean eight dollars? Yeah, I was Did like, I... do you mean, sorry, what? Or like... And then, and then, uh... Uh, he was like, no, like you just, I mean, you don't have to use it. I was like, uh, I know. <laughs> I know Except how money I was, works. Yeah, yeah it might, but I didn't know. I was like, yeah, obviously I don't have to. And he was like, okay. And I was like, okay. 
<laughs> Bye. Uh, for no reason. It was an extreme aggressive reaction. But uh, uh, yeah, I was like, I'm a millionaire. Like every yeah. time I talked to Kevin about it, I was like, yeah, it's eight grand. And then the next time we talked, I was like, yeah, it's like about, you know, like 20 grand limit. And then I'm like, it's a million dollars. And I have six <laughs> trillion dollars on this card. Yeah. Like just making it bigger and bigger each time yeah, for fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am in debt. I'm in a lot of debt I got the line of credit. I bought too many wicker balls. And now I am back at my parents' place because I yeah. cannot afford to live. I yes, am, the apartment yeah. is a wicker ball pit. Yeah, it's a playpen <laughs> yeah. with wicker balls. Like it's McDonald's so spiky. And, yeah. I have splinters over my whole body, and I don't live there anymore. And I'm <laughs> glad that I did it. So there, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's just a waiting room with wicker balls and nothing on the walls. Oh, my yeah. God, that's amazing. People are like, I'm here for my uh. pap smear. I'm like, get out. You know, the balls are rolling out the door. For all like, the wicker balls. Yeah, freaking out. <laughs> with all your, like, monopoly. My monopoly. That's what happens <laughs> when I drink Budweiser. Dundas West Square. Um, course, Dundas yeah. West Square and Bathroom. West Station. Um, okay, so when I was in, this was like a few years ago. Um, when I I visited LA, but I've but there was only one time where I stayed for like quite a prolonged period of time. I was there. Oh, I was taking UCB, so I was there for like a month, I guess. And when I was there, one thing that I didn't even think of was so in Toronto. It's very much that, like, the improv uh, theaters also have bars attached to them, most of them. So, like, after a show, there is that social aspect. Whereas I found in L.A., and again, I am generalizing, I found in L.A. that, like, you know, after you're done your class or your show at UCB, there isn't, like, a bar attached. Plus, most, like, a lot more people are driving versus in Toronto where you're taking the subway and stuff. So I found a lot less people were up for like sticking around for a drink or that social aspect and it felt like I thought oh if I if I moved here and did comedy here it would be a lot harder it wouldn't be just running into people and you just form friendships because you're just around each other all the time as much as that happens in Toronto and my long-winded question here is I just I wondered what the I know you're only there for nine months but what was sort of like the adjustment period or the experience in moving to LA and and it being such like a driving culture versus a walking culture and just mm. the differences in the comedy community. What was that like for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, I don't drive. I don't even have my G1 because uh, I'm a loser. Your face? I was going to say, even uh, before you said loser, your face <laughs> when you were saying it, you just looked down. And I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I have driving anxiety, but I need to do it. Mm. I'm going to do it. It's fine. But oh. um, yeah, it's true. Uh, greater driving culture. When I would like walk, people would be like looking at me from their cars being like, what the <laughs> Fuck is the she fuck doing? Are you doing? That person is dangerous, you know. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it was at first a little daunting, and then it was fine because it was just about that switch. Like um, UCB uh, Franklin, uh, mm-hmm. that bar Birds is right beside it, and everybody goes to Birds after. So it's like, uh, is that the one? Yeah, is the Franklin one near the Scientology building? Yes, right okay, near yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. gorgeous, horrifying Huge, Scientology terrifying building. Scientology. Beautiful, beautiful, yeah. spooky, spooky Ther- building. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're like, yes. gorgeous, should I? And then you're like, don't want to die, don't want to That's what it was. Not a good. friend of mine who we were taking the class afterwards, we were like, should we just go like explore? And we walked around, and there was a moment where I was like, away like we need to run, because yeah. I just sort of clued in like, what if we're taken? Which, who, yeah. I mean, maybe you're that like, would never happen, but... 
yeah, it's totally, you're like, this is gorgeous. And you're like, wow. And there's this garden and you're like, I'm going to go in. And then they put a vacuum in your ear and suck your brain out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not in a documentary. I'm actually here. Like I'm not, I need to, this is real life. Get out. This is reality. Um, Okay. I, so yeah, that that location. Birds next to Franklin. And then people would go after, um, shows at sunset. We would usually be like, all right, well like, let's go to a bar and, um, there's a place called Jay's Bar that looks like it's in like a strip mall complex, which is really funny. But oh. it's like this nice little spot that has, you know, great uh, beers and like appetizers and stuff. And so we would be like, all right, well, if someone's driving, like we'll just all go over there and we'd hang out long enough. It would usually just be like one beer or if people were getting like really sloshed. They would make sure they cab that night or, yeah. or lift or whatever. Um, but yeah, for me, it was like when I first got to L.A., I got I. Um, uh signed up that's not applied for another Mm -hmm. day job so i was working in an ice cream store and weirdly enough actually met some very wonderful people who i'm like still friends with uh there so i already felt like i had a sense of kind of community Mm. which i was like oh this is nice and then um pretty much right off the bat i moved there like it's either late july or august but it was like i moved then i had to come back to canada to write for the last season of baroness then i went back so i forget the actual date but when I was back, I uh, it was Harold auditions, and I was like, you know what, fuck it. I've wanted, I've watched, I've been a huge UCB UCB fan for forever. I've watched a ton of Harolds online. I've done a million Harolds. Um, I'm gonna audition even though I'm not finished the classes. And I think one of the only people who have ever who's ever gotten on a Harold team without having finished the classes there first is like, or that I know of which what the fuck does that mean but was gambling john gambling who i love so i was like it's probably not gonna happen but whatever uh i got placed on a mess hall team who are my very good friends to this day we still do a mm. weekly zoom call despite you know being away from each other for like nine months um, i love that yeah we love each other they're amazing and then i also auditioned and got on to um Characters Welcome, the solo sketch mm-hmm. character team. Um, and that was another kind of place of camaraderie where I met some really amazing people, um, mm-hmm. many of which who I am I'm keep up with regularly. And uh, yeah, that made it feel, it's, it's tough because I had the experience of getting onto these teams. So I had like, you know, basically a friend group built for me. And then there's all, we've all had the experience of like being for either a show or a season or whatever plopped on a team where you're like, I don't know if I really vibe with everyone. Luckily, both of my teams, I loved everybody on them. (gasps) That's amazing. Um, Yeah. So that made it easy to like have the whole community friendship thing. Uh, But I agree. It's true. Like, you know, even UCB is like at the, even at sunset, their bigger location in LA Mm -hmm you know you walk out and you're kind of standing in this area and they're like okay you need to clear the steps because there's a (laughs) huge lineup for the next show it's like oh yeah like this isn't the place where we hang out we'll chat a bit and then we have to move to a second location yeah um but yeah i feel like for people who head out there and just do classes or who like are out there for a vacation and they're like want to be bumming around the comedy scene um it can be a little bit uh daunting because Mm -hmm. it feels especially when I, i i know i felt coming from canada and i did my first ucb classes in new york um i think it was 101 and maybe 201 i can't remember um that you you go to it for the first time and you're like ucb oh my Mm. god you know and you're like well i don't want to like hang around and be weird and whatever but the reality is an improv theater is an improv theater is an improv theater nobody's making any fucking money Mm -hmm. everybody is weird everybody has mental illness (laughs) like (laughs) just hang out it's totally cool no one person is like more important or cooler than the other and anybody who makes you feel that way in an improv context is a big fucking loser (laughs) so oh i couldn't agree with you more it it was weird to for UCB I feel like such an idiot for UCB LA when I uh was applying I was like it says you know like you um 
you need to start at 101 and and in order oh I have like beer in my throat it's yeah Budweiser sticks it really just like just uh, love it it's arguably Um, a solid yeah (laughs) yeah it's just like a like a like a gelatin coating Mm. it's really really I mean a little bit of smoke in there um uh yeah when I was applying I I was like, okay, I've done Second City Conservatory. Like, maybe they'll let me do 201. Like, fuck it. So I remember emailing them and saying, hey, I, like, I just want to make sure that I'm I'm enrolling in the right level. This is my improv experience. And they very nicely replied and said, like, you need to do 101. Also, so that everybody has the same vocabulary. Because every school mm. is going to be a little different. And I totally recognize that. And then I walked into my first class. And Maria Bamford is there. And I was like, I'm the, the fucking... <laughs> idiot who was like I've done second city conservatory that I paid to do like yes we had to audition but I paid to do that and I'm wondering if I should do 201 but Maria Bamford's doing 101 like are you fun? we went to go do our show and like there's a framed we like we're all of us are with her are like walking by a framed photo of her in the like fucking theater that she hasn't performed in yet and I'm like God, I never want to see those people I emailed again. God, what a fucking (laughs) Well, I mean, I get the mentality of that too. I mean, part of the reason that UCB wants you to start at 101, regardless of what your experience is, is because they want your money. So there's that. I'm not going to sit here and be like, are you serious? How dare you approach the improv gods and beg to be on the improv mats Olympus, you bitch. I'm more like, yeah, of course you would think that because improv is, I love improv so much. It's an it's embarrassing. It's my favorite thing to do, and I will tell you, it's the stupidest thing on this planet. Anyone who tells you it's important is a fucking loser. So there, it's the most important thing in my life, and it's stupid. So that's where I'm coming from. Um, and you know, the same with whatever. Even you're talking about Second City Conservatory. In my brain, I'm like, yeah, they shouldn't be making you fucking pay for that. That's bullshit too. Like it's like all the bullshit things that when you do improv for a very long time and you look at it, you're like, shut the fuck up. Shut up. So I don't blame you. But people like Maria Bamford, anybody who knows her comedy or knows her presence online, she is somebody with like uh, absolute breaking the boundaries, the levels of humility. She's Mm -hmm. just the person who she in. I feel like her logic, not that I fucking know. It's not like I know her, but I feel like her logic was like, I want to get better at improv. So guess I'll just sign up for this course. Like, there's no like no. oh because i'm this level i deserve this or whatever and i don't feel like that was your vibe either you're like if i'm gonna go in and play fucking zip zap zop for a thousand dollars in <laughs> right, la right. then i want to know with the with the with the fucking um dollar this is where i can't think of words where the with the exchange rate of like i think it was yeah. like four hundred dollars but because of the exchange rate i paid six hundred and i was like yeah you know <laughs> and it was it was very much like where do you think i should go because i want this to make me better and we've all yeah. been in classes where like you you're sitting there, you know, and by the end, you're like, I, this didn't push me at all. And then you're in class. And then I've been in class where I'm like, oh my God, this is so above me. I'm, I'm drowning, mm, you know, mm. but, um, but yeah. It, yeah. And I totally agree with you. I mean, again, like I, not that I know her well, I knew her for that experience of time in my own perspective, but she was the most humble. She never came across like that. She very much, when we're like talking about why we're there, very much just like, and I don't remember whether she said she hadn't done improv before or like hadn't or like hadn't done it in a class setting or whatever or at UCB, whatever, but just was very much like, I want to learn. She was the most yeah. wonderful 
wonderful. She seems like the best. Yeah. And the hardest part of this for you, of course, was going back to your mortgage broker and being like, and I did spend $700 to take an improv (laughs) class. And he's like, yeah, so you'll actually be getting $3, not $5. Yeah, Yeah. they're like, I I slid you that $5 bill, but I would like change. You can take it back and cut about a third off of it. (laughs) (laughs) This is symbolic. Frame this for your knickknack on your wall with your fucking Velcro. Um, Exactly. Okay, so I know you you have written for a number of television shows. I know you mentioned Baroness Von Sketch Mm -hmm. as one of them. And I'm wondering, how did you get started? started in writing for television how did that that's a good come question I remember before I started writing for tv I was like it feels like every step of doing something in comedy is mm-hmm. laid out and close together like start taking classes form a team start doing shows with your team produce a show produce multiple shows bring your show on tour great and you're like I got it I know what comedy is and then it's like here's the point for finishing that and here's writing for tv they're like fucking miles and miles apart (laughs) you like have no idea how to make how to do it how to ever yeah so in Canada it's a little different than in the states I would say like above all having connections of somebody who is in a room or has a room that's like I love you I'm putting you in it that's Mm -hmm. like how majority of right I would say that's how 80 to 90% of people get Mm -hmm. first writing jobs or writing jobs in general. Um, For me, um, I had a couple things working for me. One was I'm uh, good friends with Monica Heisey, absolute amazing writer, person that I'm obsessed with, best hair in North America, and now she lives in the (laughs) UK, so UK. Shout out to Monica Heisey. Um, She had written for the show since the beginning, um, Mm. for full season since the beginning, and I was like, I'm kind of interested in this. She was like, yeah, maybe you should submit a packet, and they put out, I think, a general call in like that Facebook group for people. Yeah, I remember seeing it. Yeah, uh, yeah, whatever. They were like, here's this thing. You, I think Aurora posted it. Um, and I was like, well, maybe I'll submit. And then I did a stand-up show, actually a, a show Sam Feldman asked me to do, funny enough. Mm. And um, the closer was Elvira Kurt. And Elvira saw my set and was like, you're so funny. Uh, I think you should write for Baroness. I'm going to send a text. I think uh, Elvira's friends with Carolyn Taylor, or closest with Carolyn mm. Taylor, and had written for the show and was like, um, I'm going to send uh, Carolyn a text and just ask like just put your name forward so I was like great so I went home and I had written sketch in university um so I was like okay putting my thing together this packet it was my first putting together a packet for tv and I sent it off and then uh, I ended up getting hired to write I think for a week which it was pretty it's it's not not standard in Canada but uh a week for the fourth season and I was like oh my god like I was losing my mind because I loved the show yeah Yeah. I was like I can't believe it's happening writing for tv yippee and this is also after I had like turned down JFL and been like JFL suck my dick (laughs) and so I was like I'm I would do that again in a heartbeat but I was also like okay sick there's like three jobs you can get as a comedian in Canada and I've pretty much burned one of the biggest bridges (laughs) uh chill all right that's fine I was like I it was worth it but also fuck you know now what yeah uh, yeah so I was like oh it's nice to know that I can still work and it's in a field that I actually have more fun doing I prefer mm. to do this writing part so I was like that's great um did the week it was great um I for that time I wasn't there was Monica there I can't remember but Neela was there who I knew from mm. improv who's great Aisha was there who I knew from seeing stand-up who's great obviously all the baronesses um there was definitely uh, uh, Jen Goodman who has worked on the show mm. from the beginning also an angel I know I'm forgetting people and I don't mean to be but they were all awesome and I was totally spoiled by the experience because it was just like 
no shitty weird dude zone not to Mm. say and again not to nod all men but i'm like i've worked with many men who are great as i've listed names on this podcast i'm friends Mm -hmm. with many male comedians but it felt nice to have that tempo uh because Mm -hmm. of the way that the room was set up and then shortly after that uh my buddy kevin my writing partner who uh has written for 22 minutes on and off for multiple seasons was like, you should submit, uh, for 22. And, um, like I'll put it, I'll say like, I know you and I love your stuff and we work together. And then I ended up being out there. My contract was extended, I think for five or six weeks. I can't remember. Uh, I can't even remember the timeline, but I was there and that was cool because it was my first time writing for like a uh, live TV mm-hmm. where, the tapings were done live and there was an audience and also the turnover was weekly. Whereas like Baroness, I wrote in the summer and I didn't see the show until the next fall, mm. uh, 22 minutes. It was like, I wrote and that, I think it was Thursdays we filmed Thursday. I would like see the audience react to everything, which was wow. cool. Um, yeah. And then pretty much on the heels of that, I came back and started doing some helping to break story for season two of Gary and his demons. And that's yeah. Mark Little's show again, Mark Little Canadian treasure, fucking so nice so funny wonderful wonderful guy um was like i like your comedy do you want to be a part of this and i didn't pen an actual episode but i was there breaking storylines and that was really fun and then yeah back to baroness so all to say these are like the 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 through line through a lot of this are connections Mm -hmm. and i want to be so um specific and clear about that because i feel so many people are like i'm not getting opportunities because i'm not good enough when it is almost it is like 70 percent of the time not the case Mm -hmm. like everybody can get better at writing i'm still i've written i think like what is it three or four pilots now and um you know working on features and you can always get better if you're gonna write for your whole life you're going to write a billion pilots so Mm -hmm. that first i feel like my first step in starting to get into tv writing or writing my own stuff i was like it has to be perfect it has to be great no you're gonna write a billion of them going into it with that mindset makes you so much less precious you could just fucking do it like just Mm -hmm. enjoy it and have fun but yeah so i yeah i just nail that connection thing on the head and and to say it's always good to practice Mm -hmm. and i know it feels like uh, i feel like i've talked to a lot of people who want to get into writing and they're like well I'm not a writer I think it was Roxane Gay who was like a writer is somebody who has writing tools if you can sit down on a computer and open a word document you're a writer I don't uh, subscribe to the whole you have to sell this or people have to tell you that your fucking shit smells amazing to like call yourself a writer it's literally Mm -hmm. just doing it Mm -hmm. Um, and the more you do it the more fun it becomes the less stressful it becomes because you're like oh, I'm not trying to prove to myself I'm good at this. You're like, oh, uh, this is what I can improve on next time. It's mm. not like this is make or break. If this is bad, I'm going to stop. You're like, oh, here's all these things that last time um, I did wrong. I'm going to do them right this time. And here's all these new problems that came up and that I'm going to fix for the next time kind of thing. Mm. It's like yeah, instead of viewing answer. this. No, no, I loved it. It's like instead of viewing this specific writing piece that you're doing as like the first thing of this kind you're doing or potentially the last thing you'll ever do. It's like, no, it's just the middle. It's just like another yeah. thing you're going to do and you and you love it and have fun with it. I actually, long-winded or not, I loved that answer because writing is a hundred percent something that I'm always like the perfectionism gets totally in my way and you're right it's like the more you write the less precious you are about things I think that's with like a lot of things too to be honest Mm -hmm. you just you do it more and so each thing just represents you as a whole less and less Yeah. (laughs) yeah it's also just a reminder especially like with improv or even writing like if you're not 
writing something on spec or someone's not like paying you to write it that it's like you can do a billion versions of it mm. and i think there's a i think it's a judd apatow quote he says something like it's uh your first draft is vomiting yeah. and your second draft is picking through the vomit for like the little pieces you want to keep yeah, yeah. like and i would say i'm a huge huge planner like i have my lists i love a very intricate outline like i'm not what they call like a pantser like by the seat of my pants just writing i'm mm. definitely someone who plans and outlines things but at the same time i try not to be precious when i go from my outline to my first draft because as you write it you're fleshing out your characters you're feeling them more you're understanding them mm-hmm. it stops being like this thing has to happen and more like would this person do this mm-hmm. and then you end up surprising yourself by the end of it and then you write like fucking five or six or a billion more drafts and it's just it's a it's less about uh believing that everything you write has to be your opus and instead being like just like uh, somebody who's a doctor who's going to do thousands of surgeries through their whole life, I am going to write a billion pilots. And so this specific one, though important and I want to do it right, is not the make or break of my career. Not to in any way compare writing a fucking no, fart joke the- to being a doctor. Literally I, was also, me, but- I was also like, oh my God, doctors, please think this is make or break. Like yeah. every surgery, please treat as make or break of your career. But I, do- I, want my, I want my doctor to play it fast and loose. Yeah. Let's put another yeah. arm on. Let's yeah. you know, take out my spleen, see what just happens. Like, listen, this is just vomit out this surgery and then we'll just piece together her <laughs> arm and we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, and isn't that, despite, you know, my horrible mixed metaphor, I feel like, um, isn't that more proof that the stakes are so low for us? Mm. It's not surgery. It's not, you know, like we can make those mistakes. So we should mm-hmm. not act like we're doing a surgery. We should just be like, yeah, we get to do a hundred tries of this. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one surgery could make or break a doctor's career. I'm going to redact my previous <laughs> statement. If he's like, if he's like, I have this important surgery, then he just like puts a scalpel in someone's brain. It's like, you're fired, you know? Like, but it was only my first draft. Like, yeah, I'm going to improve. Yeah, my first draft of the surgery. Like, it's my first surgery of the day. Um, I love that. I love that. Even when, I, um, when I'm training people at the restaurant that I work at, if I can see that they're just like so especially at a training. I'm like, you're not supposed to know these things. Like, it's okay. So often I'm like, listen, we're not curing any diseases. Like we are bringing food to people who are able to afford it. Like we're good. Let's Mm -hmm. just, let's just, just give a shit about them as a person and do your best. And we're good. Like walk away or yeah, improv. I'm like, I fucking paid to be here. Like if it's a show, most of the time, even if they're paying me to do the show, in the grand scheme of things with transportation or taking off work or whatever, I paid to be here. Like I better have a good fucking time. I better not beat myself up afterwards that I didn't think to like be someone's odd knitting aunt instead of their like crocheting mom. Exactly. Yeah. Crocheting mom. I just grab a verb and I just shove Uh it with like a title and I'm like, well, that's that's what game is. Yeah. I mean, literally character based (laughs) game is that it's It's like goofy adjective and then a noun. Just knit really fucking hard. Yeah. Um, well speak. Yeah. People, uh, I mean, that's what I'm known for. Uh, crazy knitting aunt. Not crazy. We're taking that one out of it. Um, or I put it on myself. That's okay. (laughs) 
Uh, okay, I do want to ask you about character work. You, first of all, you do a ton of characters. I'm telling you that. It feels like an idiot. I'm more telling that for the viewers and, and listeners. Um, you are so fucking good at characters. Again, not that you need me <laughs> to tell you that. But I'm wondering, okay, so you do such a, I feel like your characters have such a variety in like who they are and, but each one of them, your values and perspective, like just bleed through, which is so fucking wonderful to watch and so fun. Um, I'm wondering when you think of the characters that you have performed over the years or seem to keep going back to, like what kinds of characters are you, do you find yourself drawn towards writing and like playing? Mm, that's a good question. I feel like I play. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. And uh, I feel like I play. I'm like addicted to playing just the worst men you've ever seen, <laughs> ever met. I can't stop. And you know what? Part of me is like, so I'm non-binary, and I'm like, I remember um, I went to go see Work the World like a drag race show in LA, mm. for, and I was so excited. And I was like, I'm going to go and drag. And I dressed up as like a sexy lady. And I was like, wait, is this drag? Like, I was like, what? And then I'm like, it's drag to me. Because that's not Perfect. what I, that's not how I see, like, it's not that I don't think I'm hot and sexy. I'm super hot and sexy. But it's more like, oh, that to me is like what it looks like to be in a costume. And so when I dressing up of, as these horrible men, I, I you know, obviously I don't, um, fall in line with their values or the values I create for them. But it ju just feels normal to be so obscene. Um, and there are certain types of like women that I like to parody or lovingly kind of like do a tribute to through my characters, but it feels so much easier to just shit on horrible <laughs> men because they cause, they kill people, you know, like I play an incel. Or an I, play... I was thinking the incel pop star. I'm like yeah. that and the chorus with like, or I think it was the chorus where you're just like saying Reddit over and over again. I'm yeah, just like, this yeah. is amazing. This, Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Or the, or the, not that I need to tell your characters to you, but like when oh, you're saying okay. this, I'm also thinking of, um, I think his name was Biff, like the travel blogger. Oh, yeah. Biff like, Crunchum. Yeah. yeah. Who, you know, I have sympathy for him because I just made him do like have a horrible life because it was funny to me. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> cruel. Um, I don't know. It feels like uh, I, I, I feel like many people have said to me, oh, my God, like your voice is so clear. What you do is so distinct. And I'm like, I can't tell you what it is and not in like an artistic like oh I can't put the words to it it's a je ne sais quoi you know like <laughs> but more to say like I'm not sure it's constantly changing I know two things mm. of myself that I like and that's absurdity and um being political basically <laughs> and I like to marry those two things I think because I I think of somebody who ruminates a lot who spends a lot of time in their own head uh, thinking about all the horrible things in this world and like how I'm <laughs> contributing to them and what I can do I like just feel fucked up about that all the time that I think almost like a release of it is playing these horrible people and highlighting the things that make them horrible so that uh it's kind of like loosening the valve and letting out some of the pressure and it's mm -hmm. also uh, hopefully in some ways an education like I did that incel piece once and then when I was it was in the cab space at comedy bar and when I was walking out these two people were on a date and the woman uh I believe the woman was white and the man was a person of color and the um woman was like oh I like Jordan Peterson like what's wrong with Jordan Peterson and I was like he is a white supremacist and the, the date was like yeah and I was like oh, oh no the date was there when sh the date was there when the woman said it to you too yeah yeah and I was oh. like well but I was trying to be like 
she was like, I loved your character. Like, what's wrong with Jordan Pearson? Like, she was actually trying to be like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, and tried to explain these things. So it has created teachable moments despite that character being, like, fucking horrifying and disgusting. And, you know, obviously the piece somewhat ends with me dumping a whole jug of milk on myself that's supposed to be my mom's tit milk, and I'm like an adult fucking gross piece of shit. So, <laughs> you know, there's nuance. There's lots of nuance. Um, but, yeah, so I feel like I play I, – I, I had when I did my solo character sketch review for – uh, Toronto Sketch Fest a couple years ago, I was like, a lot of my characters are these sad, fucked up dudes. And so I was like, where's the balance? Like, where are some mm. other things I can put in here? And that's when I started, I, I created this character called um, oh, Soft Patrick Peanuts. Oh, that's yeah, his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw him, it's just yeah. like a nice old man who runs an animal shelter. <laughs> And there's no, I was like so tempted to put a wink of it being like sinister, but I was like, no, because the the truth of the matter is I have so many loving, wonderful men in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've met billions of horrible men, mostly doing standup, horrible, like live in the, like, just like in the most dank comedy basements where the incels crawl up the walls and you turn on the light like a fucking cockroach. <laughs> but there are these beautiful, wonderful, amazing men in my life. And so I'm like, I need to, you know, pay tribute to those guys too. And mm. that's, that's where soft Patrick peanuts came from. And yeah, I feel like also my upbringing was like, a I have, a, I had like a, a soft Jewish American musical theater dad and like a mm. super cool, badass, hard, irish catholic canadian mom who's like doing donuts in the parking lot so i'm like all right well i see where it comes from you know i see this like intense unnecessary edge comes from but yeah so (laughs) it's it's changing all the time though it's basically the kernel i would say for anybody who wants to write characters or do character stuff or comedy in general you you yourself have to find it so funny like you yourself have to be like this is funny to me you might not even be able to know why it's funny to you but it it has to be funny to you because people for me not to get so airy fairy but it's all about energies like Mm. it's like saying something with a powerful those people who have a charismatic presence in comedy um will often crush on shows that people who have really tightly written smart jokes will not do well on because they're present they're they're in they're interested in the audience they're there and that to me is a big part of my sketch i was talking about it with my mm. buddy chris the other day of he was like i uh, we were talking about what we love in actors and he was like he's like oh well, that's interesting because i find like in your characters you f- you always force presence and i was like oh that's wow that's an interesting thing to hear of like i love using liquid props i love doing like you know for biff crunchum i end up drinking or or, and or shotgunning like six pombes and then opening up mickey of smirnoff and drinking it and the audience is watching it like no like they are there they're right there with me it's not like i did a comedy sketch that i practiced a bunch and they're kind of witnessing the remnants of it we're on it like we're in the same exact moment experiencing it at the same time and that's exciting and i feel like that's what that's the difference between good sketch and great sketch is Mm -hmm. like the audience is experiencing it with you for the first time even though you've written the words before you are bringing an energy you are there making it happen in that moment um which is a huge tenant of comedy in la which was amazing to learn because you know i being in montreal for six years i was like clown 
no, kill me. Uh, but in LA, clown is huge. Mm. And it's it, it's called the Idiot Workshop is one of the most popular workshops out there. And a lot of my friends who I believe are some of the most naturally talented people um, who have been working at this forever are involved in clown, have taken clown classes, teach clown classes, all these things. Because what clown teaches is like your mistake is the premise for your next bit. You don't get to stop. If you're like, this is going poorly, your teacher's like, keep going. Save it. Save it. Uh, You know, you play a game in clown called Save the Show. And you have to be fully vulnerable. You have to be fully open. Because I'm someone who's a huge perfectionist. And so in stand-up and improv, I'd be like, I have to make the right choice. And if I don't, I'm going to fuck it up. And I have to save it with the next right choice. Mm -hmm. Clowning is literally going, oh, I just fucked up. Everybody saw isn't that so funny? It's part of the bit and we're going to keep doing the thing. I'm going to keep fucking up because that's what we've decided we like as the audience. So anyways, it causes this greater presence that's not so much like I have to do an amazing job because I want to get hired and it's more like what does the audience want from me? What are mm-hmm. they hearing? What are they what are they looking at? What's fun for them? And and just uh with reckless abandon diving 100% into that and um, I think that those tenants of clown when brought to stand up and improv and sketch can just blow the roof off of something. It makes mm. people enrapturing to watch. Yeah. It's like the audience gets to interact, like expe- they get to experience the performance instead of witness the performance or like you're not presenting it. You're experiencing it with them. Like I'm thinking of your impression of a birthday cake. I have seen that so many times like online and every time I watch, like I will rewatch it because I'm like, this is so fucking good because you can tell the audience is just like what and they don't know it's a birthday cake until the very end I should say that for for people listening and it's just like it's as an audience member you can't not be on the edge of your seat being like what is going to happen Mm. um not to like knock other sketch or other like other performances that aren't really that in nature but I I totally see what you're saying and like it really is a completely different experience for an audience member to get to it's why people are obsessed with those like you know stand up takes down heckler xxl Superboy zone because it's like that oh look you're watching magic uh i don't Mm -hmm. like that shit just the same reason why i like don't like prank videos i'm like this hurts me to watch it makes my stomach turn but like i'm like conflict unnecessary conflict no (laughs) you know like writhing in my chair but um the the that that moment that electricity like there are some people who do this pat thornton is a great example uh chris lock sarah hennessy um jackie pirico there's these people who are brandon ash muhammad um all these people who i've seen do stand up where i'm like you are on the vibe of what's happening in this room right now. And that's Mm. more important to you than your punchlines. And your punchlines are kind of like telephone poles that you're like, I'm going to follow this wire and I'll eventually get back to the pole, but I'm going to live in this wire while I'm in it. Mm -hmm. Because that's where the electricity is. There's a metaphor for you. (laughs) Fucking pull quote that. Nailed it. Yeah. That made up for Dundas West Square, in my opinion. (laughs) I once went through an entire conversation. I was dating this this dude and I was at a bar that he took me to. He's like, I love this bar. love this bartender we're like such good friends i'm like that's great and i went through a whole like 20 minute conversation they were talking about tony danza and in my head i was picturing ted danson and i was like yeah and he was in cheers and he's in the good place and they were like "Uh uh-huh like they were humoring me and i didn't notice until the car ride home and i wanted to cry so (gasps) listen it's fine everything's fine it's not as bad of a foible as that but uh (laughs) yeah just essentially 
I feel like uh, a lot of people are told from the beginning, like I know when I was doing stand up when I first started, I was like, because I was coming from a mentality of improv, I was like, I have to do a new set every single time, which mm-hmm. is obscene mm-hmm. to think now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, totally obscene yeah. and I was also like they ha- has to be really good and I'm coming up there as me and that makes it even scarier mm. and the reality is is stand-up can be anything and anyone who tells you that it can't is a loser like I feel like I but to be fair I actively do not perform in comedy clubs I'm like you're not on my vibe I'm not going to entertain you because you don't want what I'm doing you mm. want me to be like my girlfriend's a bitch because she has a ponytail <laughs> So they can be like, yeah, you know, but me, I'm like, I, I, my shows I love are like student shows in a basement where I'm just like, literally there's no stage and you're just talking to somebody (laughs) and I'm just, what I'm saying is I would rather have a conversation than do a show. And that is fun though. That's what makes it fun. That's what makes the comedy good because that's what makes it a unique experience. That's what, and I feel like, you know as as soon as it gets bigger and bigger there are people who are really good at projecting their energy out and capturing those people even with the most stilted shit and making it seem brand new like um deanne smith is a huge example of somebody who is just so talented no matter the size of the room she makes it feel so intimate or i'm Mm. not sure if deanne goes by they so they make it feel so intimate um that you know, but for majority of people the bigger you get these tapings at jfl or being like in these massive halls Unless you are excited and you're on and it's so fun for you to Mm -hmm. be there and doing it, it can just fall so flat because the pressure gets involved and you're like, well, I have to do my jokes as opposed to being like, there's a group of people in front of me and I'm interacting with. And what does that mean? The give and take of that energy. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, I mean, that's the fun of it too. I haven't done a ton of stand up. Actually I've done, I've written more stand up for hosting shows than for, for stand up shows. And mostly because to me, it felt like less pressure. Honestly, I wasn't up there being like, I'm going to be funny. I was up here being like, I'm going to support the fuck out of everyone else who's here and you're here to see them. And I'm just going to make sure that you guys feel great before you see them. And then sneaky, Mm. like, but here's my five minutes. Um, but it, but the, the fun of it is like telling these stories or telling your jokes and seeing what parts of them people like resonate with people and the looks on their faces. And yeah, it is sad. I mean, I, it is sad to think of losing that part and it being more of a presentation because that's, I'm sure that's not what, you know, people got into it for. And I guess I'm wondering for you too, because I know like talking about this sort of like what's for the audience and what's for yourself and um, you, you had said something, I don't want to misquote you, but you had said something in, I think it was Bad Feeling Magazine about, you were talking about like a lot of, uh, about um, achieving success in comedy is a lot about like making these gatekeepers happy. And that's like sort of, and you were saying in your words, like bullshit, like that's, that's crappy to have to do. I'm wondering for you, like in talking about performing these characters and like, being able to be in the moment with the audience, how do you keep your comedy and the art that you're creating being for you and not for other people, not for like your, the, your, your fellow performers who are on next or your friends who are in the audience or those gatekeepers, like those show bookers or casting directors mm-hmm. and stuff. How do you keep it for yourself? That's a good question. I mean, I feel like for me, it's more the, um, making figures of authority happy i i always prefer to do shows in front of rooms of strangers than friends if my friends are family yeah. in the audience i'm just like, like yes <laughs> i don't want to i'm like i don't want to look at you um which is so weird because they've seen my stuff a billion times and all this stuff but i'm just like I, it's easier when it's a group of strangers because i yeah. almost feel like 
I'm presenting this and myself to them for the first time. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's not. But yeah, in the beginning of my comedy career, I feel like, especially in stand-up, I think I did stand-up for like, you know, and mind you, when you do stand-up as a 15 or 16-year-old, you do, you are not funny. <laughs> you maybe like have two things that are interesting. I know the first joke I ever wrote was, my friends closest to me call me, my name's DJ, my friends closest to me call me Deej. My mm. friends farthest from me call me Deej. Which is like... <laughs> so that's stupid cute. oh my god but it's I like, like that. that you know that kind of like i need to write puns because that's yeah. where I, my brain goes i don't have any opinions yet because you're like a teenager what the fuck are you gonna talk about not to say that we shouldn't respect teens teens are important they're gonna change the world but more myself as a teen i was like yeah what am i even talking about so my first like three years in comedy and then again probably a year into being in Montreal doing comedy where I was just navigating like the scene and meeting everybody and knowing what shows happened and who ran them and what they were like was a lot of like letting people tell me what comedy should look like mm, yeah. and that made me unhappy because I would try and be I'd be like doing my almost like doing an impression of a stand-up set and it would fool a lot of people but it was not what it feels like you know when you hit your stride in like an improv scene or in a set and you're like I'm like not even actively choosing to do this my muscles are all like ignited I have the energy like I'm just doing it like I'm all, it's muscle memory it's so fun it wasn't feeling like that at all it was like uh, me trying to write you know at the time uh, rest in fucking pieces but Louis CK bits being mm. like okay what's my observational comedy as an 18 year old whose parents paid for her to go to university you know yeah. it's like shut up you know yeah. so oh I'm resonating so hard with this and on yeah. top of it on top of it it's like yeah what's my opinion that matters to the world that deserves to be added to this pot of opinions and also that's never been thought before like I know. there's nothing nothing yeah. zero like and it's the reminder of just trying to again I feel like I totally agree with that that's totally where I was I feel like it's about bringing it back to literally what I've done since the beginning of doing comedy is had a notes uh, a note open on my phone that's just titled stand up and when something tickles me if I don't even know why or whatever I just write it in there mm. because I, sometimes I'll be able to go back and suss out what a joke is in there sometimes not but I know that there's something funny in there for me and part of getting better at comedy is also being able to decipher when the thing you write off of that prompt that makes you laugh is meant to be a one liner is meant to be a full bit is meant mm. to be a piece of dialogue in a script is meant to be a character like being able to decipher the bandwidth you can get out of a thing that makes you laugh uh is a skill that you hone the more you do comedy because mm. i remember like i you know either looking at very old tweets or like my original stand-up i would just like present a premise and be like isn't this funny and the audience would be like oh yeah but like why well, or like why? and or what yeah. else do you have to say about that you yeah. know um and i'd be like oh no actually that's a joke that is better between a conversation of people that i'm gonna put in a script later you know like that kind of stuff but yeah that um the the i, I struggle with the how do i make this for me all the time whether it's in self-tapes or forever ago like years and years ago writing like a packet for the onion or something like mm. that being like what do they want to see you if you start with what do they want to see immediately you're gonna fail in my yeah. opinion because then you're assuming what you think they want when you don't actually know mm -hmm. and you're going outside of what you think is right to fit a mold that you created that they did not create <laughs> so you're That's not totally. doing it you know uh whereas if you're like this thing is fucking stupid but i think it's really funny usually people are going to respond to that especially you know i found doing comedy in this in the states or when you're applying to those writers 
you know, reductress or whatever, all those things. Uh, the people who are running the good comedy stuff are comedians or mm-hmm. have a long, a lot of experience with comedy. They watch a lot of comedy. They're interested in comedy and therefore they will laugh at something that's actually funny. Mm-hmm. And you might get like a response of being like, uh, this is in our tone, but like, it's great. Keep mm-hmm. doing it. Like that kind of stuff. And that's a win. Like I, I read this other article that was like, uh, I was having anxiety submitting to things. Um, and I decided by the end of the year, I was going to have 50 rejections. My goal was to get 50 rejections. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you set that as your goal, um, I think the person ended up getting like five things submitted two things like forwarded this, that, whatever. And like five rejections that it was like, Oh yeah, the more you put yourself out there, the more you're gonna learn. The less failure seems so heavy. So mm-hmm. yeah, I try and whenever I'm feeling like I need to do this or it's really important or when I have an audition for something that I was like I want this so badly, mm. I have to do my version of it. My like I'll read the materials, I'll see all the turns that I think should be in there, and then I'm gonna give the give it what I've got because I've had enough experiences where people have responded positively to my stuff. Um, I know I have something going on. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to offer. Because mm-hmm. if I don't offer that and I get the role, then I have to do this thing I fucking hate for X amount yeah, of time. So, so true. why yeah. would I do that? Yeah. 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 It's like, well, and even just thinking back, like it's like when I, especially in university and stuff, when I would meet people, I'd try so hard. And in the comedy community, like you try and put your like best foot forward and then you, and they, and you win them over and then you walk away and you're like, fuck, now I have to keep that specific part of me up forever. I don't even, now this person that I would have wanted to be friends with, I don't ever want to hang out with because that's going to be exhausting and I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, Yeah. You know? uh, I mean, my, my friend Kevin put it, put it best. He's someone who's just like, he's so fucking funny and he has a math brain. He went to school for math and he's just like the math of comedy. He's amazing at it. Mm-hmm. And he's also one of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, and I had a conversation with him. He's like, I would rather people walk away, whether I'm talking to comedy people or not, whatever. I'd rather people walk away thinking that I am a nice person than thinking I'm funny. Because yes. nobody wants to fucking hang out with somebody who's on all the time. Like, no. especially the longer you do comedy, the less you're like doing bits in the green room, the more you're just like, how are you doing, man? Like, it's good to see you. Like, mm-hmm. how's your wife? How are your kids? You know, how's your partner? These kinds of things. Um, and it's community because you're like, oh, this is my job. Like I go up there and I do this. I lock in. It's my passion, but it's also my job. It's less like I need to game this so everybody knows I'm the funny boy and I can be on yeah. Zip Zap Zop the musical Second City main stage, you know? <laughs> it's like. Yes. It made me leave bars early after shows so many times, especially starting out because I would like, you know, walk up to the people we just performed with or whatever, start chatting. And I would just see how many people. And again, like not, I'm not even putting this like negatively judging this judging them for this but so many people it would just be bit after bit after bit or that would not even people that would be the conversation that it was just Mm. joke after joke after joke witty comment witty comment and I literally was just like can we just ask each other how the fuck we are (laughs) like is anyone gonna actually have a conversation I don't want to I don't want to do a show and then walk off and then audition for the people that I just did a show for I don't want to be auditioning every night of my life this is exhausting can we just hang out and can we just talk about regular life so that like maybe then later on stage we have an inside joke we can make so but to me I couldn't see it like that I saw it like oh, I'm not like them. Like Mm. they are this. I can't hang with them. I'm not what they want. I'm just going to go home. And like, does anyone want to talk about 
life no okay i'm yeah. just gonna go home then. <laughs> well yeah i mean totally i feel like the mentality is like imagine you know you're sitting in a boardroom doing like a pitch on fucking stocks and then you go out to lunchroom and everybody's like yeah you ever you see pitch, the NASDAQ? Pitch, it's yeah. blowing up yeah it's like shut Fuck. up <laughs> talk about the fucking caesar salad and blt on your plate like yeah. just talk about yeah. literally anything tell me what show you're watching like talk to me about like and also sometimes in those conversations i wanted to just be like I think you're all good enough. Can we move on? Like, I, I genuinely think you're all funny and yeah. wonderful. And I and I actually want you to like me. You don't have to do this anymore. Yeah. I already like you. Like, I feel like, oh, yeah, I feel like yeah. my loophole in those, like, intense vibes was I love, um, uh, fuck, my buddy, my longtime improv partner, Dave Kaufman, him mm. and I did uh, Cry Babies together for years. We still do off and on, but obviously we're in a pandemic. And he's based out of Montreal, just had a baby, adorable baby. Oh. Um, that uh, he would call it like nerding out or something, but it would just be like uh, the loophole of getting out of that like bit, bit, bit zone was just talking very in-depth comedy talk, which is also fucking annoying, quite <laughs> honestly. But I'd be like, you know, like like <laughs> once driving to DCM from uh, Montreal, um, all of us in the car drafted our dream improv teams. Like we did fantasy improv teams. Like, and it's just those things that are like, shut up. Like it's like, <laughs> shut up. And I bet you this clip is going to resurface and everyone's going to be like, DJ's a loser. And I'm going to be like, yes, I am. That it's, um, it's so annoying, but it is kind of that sidestep to be like, here's our common interest thing. Let's talk about that mm -hmm. as our whatever. But yeah, it's also, I feel like it's tough. And in Montreal, it was like a bunch of, you know, fun weirdos making art because if you're an Anglophone, like you don't speak French fluently or don't, you're not doing comedy in French, it's very unlikely you're going to crack through or pretty much impossible that you're going to crack mm. through to the uh, Francophone comedy scene, which mm -hmm. is great in, in and of itself. Um, and so everyone's just doing their own thing, fucking around, doing stupid shit because they're like, no one's watching this. I can just do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And it breeds some amazing, amazing, hilarious stuff that was totally like uh, set the groundwork for my mentality of what comedy could look like. And then moving to Toronto, I was like, it's cool that there's more opportunities for financial stability here, but it also feels like a lot of shows, friendships, vibes are tinged with this like intensity, this like cold intensity of we're all really fighting to like do this. And mm. then when I moved to LA, it was like, I was surprised by how chill it was mm -hmm. because the not every it wasn't that everybody wasn't still fighting for that thing but one everyone had already done I think the tough thing of like moving from there a lot because there's a lot of transplants mm -hmm. um to a new city and two there's not the job scarcity you mm -hmm. know mentality because it's like the idea is there's so much work that you will be able to find something there's there's enough for everybody not to say that it does not have its massive flaws like it has LA uh uh, entertainment industry is like fucking horrifying in terms of diversity for gender sexuality race ability you know all these different things everything yeah uh but it does definitely it didn't feel like feels like in toronto everyone you know is fighting over like woman who licks toilet seat number five <laughs> background actor commercial oh non-union yes yes whereas in la yeah. it's like okay i know four or five people who have licked the toilet paul feig series. yeah who, yeah that's uh, on their own everyone can lick toilet. a toilet yeah duplass yeah. movie called <laughs> toilet licking woman.com yeah yes yeah no i mean that totally actually i was watching um the like a little documentary, the making of Gary and his demons. And Mark Little was talking about that 
oh, about just like it's very fun to watch it's very fun um i mean you probably don't need to watch it because you experienced it, <laughs> i was making it but no were, i would love to see making the, it i would love to see the animation <laughs> part of it that's thrilling to it me. is so awesome. it is it's so cool to see and i mean that's one of the like i would love to voice animation and i would love i want to make an animated show one day too so mm. i was just like this is so fun to watch but he was talking about that that there is you know it's a reality like and it doesn't have to be um a discouragement you know we can still be like optimistic and hopeful about it and and positive and inspired but it is like a very uh real thing that there's a scarcity here for job opportunities so you're mm-hmm. right it's like everybody's going for like the two sketch shows on tv like that's just yeah. the reality or everyone's going after the five animated series they could be they could be cast on so i think there is that sort of uh, like desperation or intensity. I think intensity yeah. is like a really good way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. I've had a conversation with my longtime friend, Sasha Manoli, who like did a, a degree in like writing and then was producing a lot of comedy with the brunch club and then worked at CBC shortly. And um, one of the conversations I have with her about Canadian identity, because she's mm. very interested in like, what does Canadian identity look like? Like, what is it actually? And then like, and not in reference to the States, like what is it in and of itself? Cause mm. con- constantly Canadians define themselves by being like, we're like the States, but nicer, which but, one is objectively yeah. untrue, yeah. <laughs> but two, it's like, that's not helpful in forming a national mm-hmm. identity. Um, or even just like provincial identities, I feel like are stronger than a Canadian identity. Mm-hmm. Um, Toronto's is kind of muddied. I think same with Vancouver, but Montreal seems pretty specific. And then, you know, the prairies, Winnipeg, uh, uh, the territories, East coast, like I feel like there's some tropes, but yeah, like, um, that when she's talking about Canadian identity and shows or like film TV, there's this strange, almost like, uh, conversations we've had about this, we have found Canadian identity is almost like underconfident and then puffing your chest out. It's like mm. this belief that like we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we're not as good as the states. But then this puffing chest of being like, I am Canadian and this is CanCon. But the CanCon is like somebody hold you know pouring maple syrup into a Tim Hortons mug and pushing a curling block and being like, a you know, it's like a fucking horrible political cartoon. It's yeah. not real. It's like you can no poke one it with actually a pin. sees themselves in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and it'll just deflate. So yeah. I think um, that you know I was talking with a buddy who works as an exec at Bell and just talking about like what would it mean if we had the resources money um and vast kind of like uh uh uh, entertainment economy that like LA New York slash the U.S. in general has Mm -hmm. what would it breed because most of the the major Mm -hmm. net or all of the major networks here their demographic that they're shooting for in regards to TV when they're picking up shows um is like 35 to 65 because those are their audiences buying the cable boxes watching mm-hmm. you know giving them their views um i would argue that majority of canadian talent uh today that should be actively involved in the industry are 18 to 40 and want to make tv for that demographic mm-hmm. um but there is not interest on behalf of the networks to broaden mm-hmm. their viewership and include that age group and therefore we suffer because constantly i see my friends who are absolutely fucking hilarious pitch shows get them on major networks and then they promptly become toothless because they're being retrofitted for an audience that they were not initially meant for mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that the shows turn out bad a lot of them are still pretty good but they're not the same as what they could be if they were being highlighted 
highlighted um, for what makes them unique. Mm -hmm. And you have that in the States. I'm hoping we just got uh, Adult Swim Canada here. There's only one original Canadian show on it right now that um, my friend Emma Overton wrote for. Emma's another amazing writer that uh, I'm hoping maybe having that channel here with its like niche weird comedy vibe Mm -hmm. will Mm -hmm. cause there to be more pitches and cancon made that's like of the stuff you see when you go see like the live comedy i see in canada is equal to our best holds up to their best no Mm -hmm. doubt in my mind Mm -hmm. um no absolutely no doubt uh what would it mean to offer those people the same resources um so i'm hoping i would also love if like cbc bell ctv rogers whatever did like you know net x network at night and it was mm. like, we're trying to make content because we don't have an HBO. We don't have an FX. No. We purchase those properties. These, these companies, these networks purchase those properties and just show it to us. And in my mind, I'm like, where this cognitive dissonance between understanding that those programs are good and then not funding programs like that to be made in Canada. To it's be like, creating what are we own, fucking yeah. doing, dude? Yeah. You know? Anyway, no. sorry. I feel like I always think about this stuff and I just went on my weird Canadian industry rant <laughs> so i'm gonna ch- i'm gonna take a sip of my bud chill the <laughs> fuck out please don't apologize i mean i shouldn't ask you to not apologize but also i mean listen you interviewed people on a podcast you know people apologize for their thoughts and most <laughs> of the time as a host you're like thank you so much for being so generous that you're that you're gifting me your thoughts and opinions because i totally fucking agree with what you were saying and i'm over mm. here being like I always don't. Mm. I never want to snap on a podcast or but clap. snaps. Yeah, like this snaps is what and, we used and applause. To do. Yeah, we would do oh, that. Oh yeah, we're yeah. we're we're um. What do you call this? We're shaking our hands it's back like and forth silent, for silent, ha- silent hands, happy hands. I forget what it's called. It's uh, something I learned as a floor fellow at McGill. I worked in residence <sighs> as a student support, and we would do that, which is like it just comes to me now that I'm on Zoom calls. Yes. And I'm like, I look. I look like I'm doing jazz hands. You know? I, it is, like, it's a little relax. bit like jazz hands, but instead, but pretend your whole hand is one finger, <laughs> and you're just sort of. Yeah, you're doing a big I love finger it. Wag. You're like, yay! Um, exactly. Okay. Well, I definitely you you've uh, you've touched upon just for laughs a little bit, and I do want to ask you about it. I do want to be uh, sensitive to the fact that I feel like you've probably been asked about this a billion times. So please tell me if there's any bit of that that you're just like, ugh. I've talked about it so much, but I did, I did read every article to make sure I was like not asking you, like, I don't want to be repeating shit over and over again for you. Um, head over to DJ's website and you can read your press section is so wonderful. Also, oh, thanks. uh, so you can read all about this, but this was incredible. So I'm going to summarize this for, um, watchers and listeners, but please correct me if I'm like off base on any of this. Um, So in 2017, you performed in Just for Laughs Homegrown Comics Competition, and you won alongside Courtney Gilmore. Hi, Courtney. Um, Love Courtney. Which, oh, so fucking talented. Um, Which, okay, so won you a cash prize and also won you a taping of your set the next year, and it would be nationally broadcasted. Huge. That's amazing. Wonderful prize. I'm sure they didn't pay you enough, but wonderful prize. Um, And then in 2018, so the next year when you were scheduled to do that taping opportunity at Just for Laughs, um, you turned it down. And I'm going to quote this from your words to make sure that I'm presenting this right. So you turned down the opportunity at Just for Laughs, stating that, quote, the the festival had not done enough to address the 20 plus sexual assault allegations made against its founder, Gilbert Rosen, end quote. And your protest resulted in the festival redoing its sexual assault and harassment complaint procedure. And the festival uh, posted a statement in support of the survivors who had come forward against Rosen. 
Okay, first of all, that's huge. Silent applause, full applause, full full snaps, all of it. I respect the fuck out of that. I applaud you for that. That is amazing. Um, and you sort of touched upon this earlier, and I wanted to ask you, what fear was there associated with deciding to turn down the taping? If any, if there was any fear. Mm. Well, um, I was, there were times... I mean, I kind of touched on it before of this, like, I know I'm burning this bridge, but especially Mm because I guess 2017 was like three years ago now. And at that time, I had come up in Montreal and I had a fair amount of friends who worked at JFL as like programmers and stuff Mm -hmm. who I really liked. And I was like, well, I'm I'm not telling them I'm doing this public Mm -hmm. protest and I think it will hurt our friendships. And I was like, I feel fear about that. And then also... Yeah, just this thought that it wouldn't do anything. Mm. Like I had a fear that I'd be like, because I'm I'm not anybody, you know? Like I know I'm not trying to be like, I'm no one. Like I'm not trying to be like weirdly humble. Like mm-hmm. it's true. Like I have some credits, but I'm not. Canada in and of itself doesn't have a star system. And even if it did, I wouldn't be on it. <laughs> like, so I was kind of like, um, does this even matter? Yeah. Like, is what I'm doing, do- is what I'm doing, uh, even going to change anything? Uh, but especially because, you know, my, uh, this article and my turning down the taping came after all of those women came forward and mm-hmm. nothing happened. Mm-hmm. That was what was very frustrating to me. I was like, these women who, many of whom were teenagers at the time mm-hmm. that they were sexually assaulted, harassed, um, like the first woman who came forward, wasn't she nineteen at the yeah. time? That, like, like I can't remember the exact yeah. ages. I remember one distinctly because, and, and there were all things that had happened in relation to uh, Razan's power being the head of JFL, like where he would meet someone, uh, like a business client or partner mm. or whatever, in regards to the comedy industry at a comedy soiree. And they're like one of them was like a kid of someone who he was like 15 or something who he, or 16 Ugh. who he like, yeah, was like a fucking creep to. And I was just like, um, my upset, even though he my upset rather, even though he had resigned from the company earlier, I was still boycotting it because these things do not happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. If he has been doing this for 20 plus years and Les Courageuses, who are this group of 20 plus people, some who named themselves, some who remained anonymous, who came forward saying that he sexually assaulted or harassed them over X period of years, they said this, we believe this is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. How many countless people, I know people who worked at the festival on and off who were not treated properly there, not necessarily by him, but in regards to like labor laws, respect, these kinds of things. Um, I know people who attended the festival who felt uncomfortable and unsafe at events. Like it's from all angles. Mm -hmm. When the person who creates a company and has been running it for 20 plus years is outed as a serial sexual harasser and abuser, you better fucking believe that all the many, many, many people either enabled or turned away and did nothing about it. Mm -hmm. And that means more people, vulnerable people are being affected negatively. We already have enough people in uh on the ground level at like fucking open bikes doing comedy whatever and then also in service industries and then also in the world as a societal problem being um 
fucked up by these experiences and not following their dreams, not getting to access the things they need, the jobs they want, whatever. Um, some who choose to power through and endure, which they shouldn't have to do. And some who leave forever and we never get to hear their voices, their stories, Ugh, their yeah. jokes that I'm like, it's not just about him leaving. It's about the mm-hmm. entire company realizing that this is a problem. Mm-hmm. This is actively a problem that needs to be dealt with. So yeah, I mean, and then, you know, a couple of years later, you look back at JFL and you go, oh, JFL isn't fucking anything. <laughs> like, this isn't me trying to be like, and like big dick. It's mm-hmm. like, it's a sticker on your resume. Mm-hmm. I did JFL and I did JFL 42. And in LA, everybody and their mother has done that. You know, mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. not, whether you're new faces or not, it's about if you make a deal and it, it's, it's good if you don't have representation, mm-hmm. it can be like, oh, a good way to for people to see you uh, I wasn't repped uh, after or during JFL and I had someone from three arts reach out to me but they kept me in pocket which is an industry term for they didn't actually take me on but they like kept tabs on me and would email me every mm. once in a while which is like fine that's na- that's natural in the industry people do that all the time but it's not like I walked out with fucking big bucks being like I think I got paid $150 for the show and then I got paid $150 for winning I can't really remember how much it was it was all in less than $500. Usually they put you up at the Hyatt because I was in Montreal. I just stayed in my apartment, which was fine. No big, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and you get access to like some parties. And then, yeah, I was going to win the taping for the following year, which I think was going to be three grand, five grand. Again, I can't remember. I don't yeah, think. I think I grant. Yeah, I think I read it was like, I think it was like a couple grand. grand. Yeah. That it's like. Um, I'm lucky that three grand does not make or break for me because Mm -hmm. I, you know, right now I'm living with my folks in Toronto. Mm -hmm. I have that option. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it was this feeling of like, I know so many people who, and I meet people when I go to LA who are like, all I want is to get JFL character showcase. All I want is to get JFL new faces. And I'm like, they treat you like shit last year for the American or a couple years ago. I can't remember again. It all blurs together for the American new faces. They apparently didn't put them up at the Hyatt. They put them up in this other hotel that ended up having bed bugs and they paid them. They didn't, they had to fight to get their transportation paid for it, even though they were coming from LA and they paid them, I think again, like $150 stipend, something like that. And you're taught to believe like, this is the treatment that you deserve. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say like comedy is something everybody should be getting paid millions for like fuck capitalism and all billionaires eat the rich, all that, all that, you know, but at the same <laughs> time, I'm like, don't, uh, if you're boasting yourself as the biggest comedy festival mm-hmm. in the world, um, you have a responsibility to not only provide a safe environment for your performers, but to treat them properly. Um, and for everybody who really puts JFL on a pedestal, no, yes, it's a great thing to work towards because it'll cause you to like specify your goals, work really hard on the set, hone something, all of that stuff is equal to, if not more valuable than actually being at the festival Mm. because yeah, there's, there's fun parties and stuff like that, but it's not a career maker in any sense. I know Mm -hmm. tons of people who have done JFL. It's like, you know, doing second city main stage. It's a cool thing to do while you're doing it. It's a, it's a bit of money. Uh, and then when it's done, it does not parlay you into TV deals, movie deals, book deals, being in rooms, being hired as hired as a speaker. Uh, you maybe can get hired as a teacher more likely because you have that credit, but like it does not promise you anything. Mm -hmm. And that's the lie that people I think are told because they want the credibility. They want the credentials and look to be fair. I'm someone who's talking from the position of having those creds. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not like I, or those credits, like it's not me. 
uh, I already I got to have the experience. I was involved in at Just for Last for years previous to when I boycotted it. Either being in off JFL shows, I produced my own off JFL show there, uh, my show that I was doing in Montreal, Joke Town. So like I was involved in it. I'm not trying to be mm-hmm. like I was always on the up and up. I literally won that taping, and then the Me Too movement. There was a resurgence of it, and I heard, oh well. Gilbert Rosan was literally acquitted in a court of law in 98 for sexually assaulting a woman and he was let off on a charge of forcible confinement of another woman and yeah. I was like what the fuck and, and had then, to pay like what a thousand dollars and a one-year probation or something some bullshit yeah. and Quebec the Quebec government scrubbed his record so he could continue to travel internationally to book for just for laughs because it made the uh, the Quebec government lots of money so right. Um, Quebec government is also extremely at fault, but the idea is the Quebec government, like in regards to me as a comedian and me trying to like, you know, right this wrong or at least uh, bring attention to this horrifying thing that happened. I'm like, what is the company going to do to address this? Like what Mm -hmm. they have the money, they have the staff. Mm -hmm. So what, what now? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, there again, also as somebody, the year, like uh, such a glimpse of what it looks like to work in the Canadian industry the mm. year I did homegrown and won I was also working for JFL transcribing comedy specials so mm. I would stay up for like 12 hours just literally typing out the captions on all the comedy shows that just happened um like that's how broke I was still you know that it was yeah. like that's uh that's the life of a comedian until you find those small niches where you can make money or you find good representation that helps you that can parlay it into something more real like that was my plight Uh, it's a little bit of an offshoot but i think important for people who are just starting comedy or who are in their like first like uh they haven't had any professional gigs yet or whatever I had this obsession when I first started comedy that I was like, I need to be on every show. I need to know everyone. I need to be part of every part of the community. And I realized over time that's extremely lateral thinking. Mm. It's this, the, 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 what you want to be thinking about is longitudinal thinking, which is, you know, getting representation that actually understands me, writing a pilot, uh, putting together a reel, putting together a website, getting a proper headshot, getting your resume together. Like these are all those like really annoying, like, uh, minutia of doing a comedy career, but Mm -hmm. getting those things allows you to have access to more rooms, more people. Cause you have your samples. You're ready. If someone comes knocking to get, into the industry in a financially sustainable way Mm -hmm. or financially stable way that will allow you to pursue this long term um if that's what you want to do because it feels like when you're in the Toronto community and you're like well I want to be a bad dog person and I want to be a comedy bar person people know me at second city and everyone loves me I'm on every show and la 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 that actually doesn't matter it's Mm. it's to me more valuable to spend time um you know, writing your first pilot and learning that skill if you want to be a writer than it is to be, uh, you know, part of someone's show over Zoom. Uh, mm-hmm. Those things are just the fun parts, the connection parts, which are equally important to have fun and connect to people. But if you're like thinking career wise, uh, it, it doesn't have as much to do with all the things people tell you are important. And it has mm-hmm. more to do with just connecting with yourself and your artistic and comedic voice and getting work done like actually Mm. doing it Mm. fuck you should give like ted talks or i should just (laughs) i should just pay you to like you're so okay first of all when all of the when when you turn down the taping i can't believe that you were 23 years old like that's also just because 
do you okay so you said earlier moral compass that is such a perfect way you have such like a strong or you seem to have from my perspective yeah it's such a, a strong <laughs> but it's such a like ruse. a you're like this is all fake i'm a great yeah, i'm fake. a great actor and like i'm yeah um, yeah i'm actually like, <laughs> the incel and everything else is act. Yeah, yeah the incel pop star is the true identity <laughs> of myself but like you have such a strong like clear moral compass then coupled with that is like the confidence to follow that compass and you are so like effectively articulate in <laughs> your beliefs and values first of all it's it's amazing inspiring it also blows me away that you were able to like think this way at 23 and be able to articulate these ideas like even when I read that you were talking about I think I think in an interview somebody was asking you um about boycotting and saying like well what about like how do you feel about other comedians who aren't boycotting like if you end up being the only one and everybody else goes and your response again I am paraphrasing again I was like you're fucking 23 how are you saying this you were talking about like well you you currently you lived at home so you didn't have to worry about money um for like food or for rent at that time and you were recognizing your privilege and like, I'm able to act on these beliefs and some other people can't afford to act on their beliefs, not even financially. It could be so many other different, different areas of their life and their identity that they can't afford at this moment to boycott the festival. So I just like, where the fuck does this strong moral <laughs> compass, like where does this, I guess the strong moral compass you sort of joked from your parents, it probably comes from, but where does this like fucking gutsiness of following the compass and being able to just explain it with such like I don't even know what the word is how do you do that how are you have you been able to do this for so many years honestly DJ like um well uh in regards to moral compass I I did not pop out of the womb being like (laughs) praxis you know like I it's it's a learning curve and I feel like you know I've had a very large learning curve I am mm. you know from a white middle class family and even though you know I'm queer and non-binary I as of now present in a very except like a, a, a normative way I would say mm. um uh, to you know normative to our society standards and therefore you know I'm not getting chased down the street and beat up like you know my friends who are male presenting um but who decide they want to wear lipstick and they have a beard like who like get literally harassed so mm-hmm. I from from many places I uh am safe my safety is pretty secure um and that makes it easier for this to be a big learning thing for me because mm-hmm. it's not about survival I feel like that's a huge conversation that's uh, come up again that that specifically white people are learning for the first time with the resurgence of BLM of this mm-hmm. like it is a privilege to get to learn while other people are being shot in the street. So yeah. that's one part yeah. of it certainly. Another part of it is just the reality of like, you know, I went through my phases of learning. I used to call my sister like gay for like taking the remote control and shit like that. Like, are you serious? Of course I did. Like, and then when I went to university, I was very lucky to meet and uh, undergo this thing called Res Project. Undergo, it sounds like some sort of fucking surgery, (laughs) brainwashing. Uh, It's called Res Project, which was the um, initiative of 
students uh, who were interested in teaching new students in residence about uh, sexual assault, sexual uh, and consent, sexual orientation. And there was one other topic, but I can't remember what it is. And just talking about those things you had, it was mandatory. If you lived in residence, you had to go to res project. And it was some of the first conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I went to a Catholic high school that like, was you know they brought in somebody who was as a fetus they were somebody attempt their mom attempted to abort them and survived and came talking being like abortion's bad i am god's child i survived to tell you this like crazy shit like that like sorry how old were you how old were you probably like 15 or something and i was like "Mm okay um but uh, in university, you know, learning about uh, uh, the difference between s- sex and gender and uh, g- uh, uh, the difference between gender expression and, and sexuality and talking about consent for the first time. And I was like a, probably a little shit in those meetings being <laughs> like, oh, what's consent? Like, I'm sure. I'm sure I was. And then I went into my deep hardcore fucking white feminist time where I'm like anyone who doesn't know racism exists should be murdered you know where I'm like (laughs) so intense about it being like anyone who knows less than me should die like horrible and then being like oh no I am implicit like I inherently uh, or rather I implicitly benefit from white supremacy Mm -hmm. so actually shut the fuck up you know it's all these it's all of these stages it was never i don't just know stuff um yeah it's i don't just know stuff i like to think i actively seek it out i try and learn i try and have conversations and the other part is like as i feel like there's a lot of conversations about like how do you call someone out or call someone in effectively you know in a warm way Mm -hmm. i think that's important but what's equally important is how to be called out graciously Mm -hmm. if somebody is correcting your behavior it is and you have a genuine interest in uh, treating them with respect and care you have a responsibility to shut the fuck up and listen to them and reflect on it and not bring your emotions to the table and that's something that's hard that I still do all the time I say hard like hard in the context of I'm still not being shot in the street but you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I had I had the extreme benefit of having wonderful friends, mentors, teachers, uh, people I follow on social media, books that I've read uh, that have given me knowledge to navigate situations in ways that I guess outside people deem correct. You know, they're like, oh, well, you know, she's sensitive to this. But it's not even so it's not in a way of trying to be I'm doing it right. Like I'm mm-hmm. doing the right thing. It's more it's more in, in the sense of like people are affected by this. This is real. Uh, this is important. I mean, it, uh, is getting JFL to change their sexual assault policy as important as abolishing the police? Fuck no. Absolutely <laughs> fucking not, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it is it is at that, or it was at that time, a way that I could affect change in, I, in what I felt, or I hoped if it was effective, mm-hmm. could be in a meaningful way. Um, and I think we all have the responsibility to do that. That's something I think people are learning this year, that no matter where you are or how much power you think you have, if you're white, you have more power than you think you do. Mm-hmm. If you're cis, you have more power than you think you do. Um, that it's like you have the responsibility. It's a conversation I have with my buddy Kilo. Kilo was like, oh, I'm just feeling stressed. I don't know if I – like I've gone to a bunch of marches, but I don't know if I want to go to this one. He's black. And I was like – it's not your, like, I fucking need to tell him this, but I was like, trying to alleviate some of that stress. I was like, it's not your responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's, it's everyone else's responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's, I think 
just the way I govern myself. Mm-hmm. I think also I was raised having um, uh, like a mom who's so smart and awesome and who always encouraged us to speak our minds mm-hmm. and to speak out if we felt like we weren't being treated properly. And a dad who was like, yeah, do it, you know, like was blew <laughs> so much smoke up our asses. So and was like, you're amazing. You're perfect. Everything you say is the best thing I've ever heard, you know, like. So, of course, that t- horrible, toxic com- combination has had me be like, yeah, you know, I don't no, like. No, no, horrible, toxic combination. I'm literally, I was, right before you said that, I was going to be like, okay, if I ever choose to be a parent, I'm taking notes on how yeah. to raise my child like you because, oh, that's. Yeah, so uh, I think that that's it. And just the, the thought of like, it's very, it's easy to go, that's not right. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do something about it. It's always worth it to do the hard thing. Mm-hmm. it's always like whether your hard thing is writing a pilot even though you have like immense self-doubt or whether your hard thing is you know standing up like getting booked on a comedy show and then messaging the person saying mm, i don't think i want to do this if it's an all-white lineup mm-hmm. it feels like those things are hard they're really not in the grand scheme of the world when you put it into context of people fucking you know being underhoused children in cages at the border armenia going through a second genocide it's like you can do this in comedy you can certainly in comedy, do this this isn't surgery yeah. This yeah, exactly <laughs> you know yeah this isn't first draft of surgery yeah. final draft this of isn't surgery, your yeah. first draft of your quadruple <laughs> bypass this is comedy oh fuck. exactly i love that oh well to wrap up with you dj i had some um like little quick questions for you Mm -hmm. at the end. All right, cool. So I find that I say quick questions and then just like from my heart, I end up writing questions that I'm like, I hope this doesn't feel unfair if you want to give a longer answer, but. I'm not known for my brevity, but I'm going to try and keep it tight. Yeah, as you can tell, all my answers (laughs) are like each, there's two hours we recorded and each answer has been one hour long, so. (laughs) This is for the second question that I've ever asked you. Yeah. (laughs) No, also, I mean, what, like, is that, that's like a podcast dream. Do I really want you coming on and saying five word answers? And I'm like, oh my God, we're yeah, you're like, in. What about JFL? And I'm like, it happened. Yeah. I'm like, close my so computer. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's like the whole Vogue 100 questions in two hours. That would be those answers. Um, okay. So my first, uh, I'm quoting quick questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what is something that you want to be doing more of? I would love to write for narrative TV. I wrote a little bit, I mean, like I was doing a little bit of stuff with Gary, but mm-hmm. 22 and Baroness, even though they're both amazing experiences and was were so fun, uh, they were sketch. Mm-hmm. And the, all the pilots I've written are narrative. I have a mix of um, ensemble, like ensemble comedies, ensemble slash workplace comedies uh, and animation and stuff. I would love the opportunity to work in a room and learn from people who are very, you know, have that experience and mm-hmm. and pitch story ideas and come with scripts and and all that kind of fun oh. stuff all right you heard it here hire her narrative tv, <laughs> narrative TV. um okay what's something you want to be doing less of oh good question i feel like i have been doing less of it but producing shows mm. uh because i've done it for years and years and years and it is a great skill that any comedian should also produce a show at least once in their life to understand what both sides of it look like um, but the, mm, like, misc work you have to do of mm-hmm. 
putting together a lineup isn't so bad, but then making promo for each person, each thing, promoting, uh, making a Facebook event, making a Facebook page, making graphics, posting that all over the place, contacting press to be like, can you put that my show's happening in your thing, trying to get an audience, wanna, you know, like it's all hours. of those inner workings. Hours yeah. hours, yeah. I feel like I'm, I like, uh, to like, I like those lists and checking things off, yeah. but I, f- I am much more fulfilled spending those hours and hours writing a script mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, acting that the, in the opportunities I get to do it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I totally agree with you too. I love the lists. I love the scheduling that part of producing. I find like, I love it and it's so fulfilling, but I find sometimes producing, I love it, love it, love it. And then I get sucked in and then I'm like, oh wait, I'm also a performer. Like, I'm like fuck, yeah. I, got, I got lost in all the gratification of like checking off this, checking off this to-do list or like creating my Excel spreadsheet schedule or Google Docs or whatever, mm. like making this beautiful poster. And then at the end, I'm like, oh fuck, am I supposed to perform in this too? Yeah, that was <laughs> the whole fucking point. I produced yeah. this show. So I, yeah, I totally feel exactly. it. But I think, yeah, but I agree. I think it's it's such a valuable experience, even if you hate producing, to produce at least one show just to see. It just makes you a better performer, I think, mm-hmm. too. Um, or a better, better person to like work with. Mm. Um, what's something you're proud of? Oh, something I'm proud of. <laughs> your eyes. Fuck, yeah. I'm like, your what am I like, proud of? Really? Oh, my God. I read your bio. I'm like, this is going to be the easiest one because she's like, <laughs> I would be proud of like a 1% of your, of your. What am I proud of? I'm proud. I finished a new pilot at the end of September, and I'm proud of that congratulations Um, thanks it was my first animated pilot and it was really fun to write and there was a bit of stress at the beginning of just being like i picture this being like a live action drama it's set in the medieval times so it's like Mm -hmm. live action drama but a dragon gets killed in the literal first scene which is like millions of dollars of cgi budget wise this will have to be animated (laughs) exactly semi what happened and then i was like oh no animation like i love animation i i watched uh especially my dad passed in june and i watched a lot of escapist stuff i was watching uh, i like all of uh miyazaki's movies and then Mm. uh, i've watched some anime before but like got very into it like hunter x hunter and mob psycho 100 and just these shows that are like titan you know fun great stories and you know animation outside of north america can be romances coming of age stories you know horrors uh, adventures whereas in in north america it's either kids tv or comedy and that's it it, so i was like you know what i'm not gonna feel locked into what it should be i'm just gonna write what i want and at first Mm -hmm. my manager was like okay yeah sure (laughs) and then I gave it to him and he's like oh this is fucking great I was like thank you and he's like honestly like I know whenever you work on something you work extremely hard on it so I was Mm -hmm. kind of like is it worth your time to be working this thing but it's really really good and I'm like oh Oh, thanks so yeah I was like well it's good I love that yeah oh I can't wait to well I can't wait to watch that I can't like (laughs) spoiler alert dragon dies in the first scene (laughs) but I mean that's the great thing about writing animation is like when I with my writing partners we were brainstorming like when we were brainstorming narrative series ideas like tv show ideas it was one thing and then we started brainstorming animation we had this we were gonna do this meeting we're like okay let's brainstorm um animation storylines and for the first like couple minutes we're like oh wait we could pitch this idea like that you Mm. would never pitch in a in a live action tv or like in a series with actual people in it because mm-hmm. there's no way we could get the budget to do that but animated up animated my god i've had like one <laughs> Budweiser. uh you can do anything okay um 
Okay, last uh, guilty pleasure. What's a guilty pleasure of yours? In general or in regards to comedy? In general. Okay, a guilty pleasure. I don't think I... Um, Oh, maybe yes. I was like, I don't think I feel guilt about anything that brings me pleasure That's the anymore. Best answer, yeah. Like, cause I, I feel like I, you know, I'm just gonna enjoy it, you know. That's and I don't Neil think I do Luhanda, anything yeah. too fucked up. So. <laughs> yeah. That's what Neil Luhanda said. She's like, I don't. Oh no, sorry. That's what Coco Galore said. She's like, I don't feel guilty. And I was like, that is the most Coco <laughs> like, Galore yeah! answer I've ever heard. Uh, love Coco. Love, love, love Coco. Hi Coco. Um, love you. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I would say like my thing that I take pleasure in recently to like calm down in this hellscape world in a very yes. small way is to smoke some weed and eat a popsicle like I really <laughs> just like what flavor <laughs> what flavor popsicle cyclones they're so good Cyclo- you remember those like it's the like, blue white red circle yes ones? and they're almost like the texture of sorbet and they recently came out with a new flavor that god knows what it is but it's green red and yellow and it's fucking amazing you smoke a little bit of weed and you're like this is the best thing that's ever happened to me it's like crazy <laughs> that so is that amazing. and then okay if I'm being honest about a guilty pleasure like I really don't do it often uh but looking at um ex's social media I feel like I have to actually answer the question with like a real one you know I feel like I don't want to but I have to where it's not even like where I'm looking for something specific I'm just like oh the person was in my life for a long time and I wonder what they're up to and And then I'm just like yeah yeah, and then I'm just like okay you know not any of like my horrible exes that I'm like you know I'm like (laughs) ah well, I can't say horrible. Everybody's complex, but like not any of my exes that I, I, there's animosity or anything like yes. that. Um, yeah. But just like, you know, the ones where I'm just like, what's this person up to? You yeah. Because yeah. you're used to getting, having, you know, having status updates and now those are gone. So just a yeah. little status update. I love that. Exactly. Okay. I have two, la- two, two left for you. Okay. A love show, it. podcast, or book that you're really into right now. Okay. Uh, okay. A show. Uh, a show that I'm really well. I'm watching Mob Psycho 100 right now, which is a uh, anime. It's very funny, like irreverent, bizarre, stupid, great, and it's on Crunchyroll. If you want to watch it, I think okay, yes, a I do. Loser. No, I um, do. But it's really fun and stupid. Um, and I had, like I said, I just finished Hunter x Hunter, which is like a really fun adventure series with that's funny and great. Awesome. Love it. And then a book that I'm in the middle of reading is called, uh, I'm going to mess this up, but the feminist, uh, breaking up is hard to do the feminist history of breaking up. Ooh. And it's by a Canadian writer. I think the last name is Kordeki. Um, and it's basically, it's, it's a very heteronormative lens and that's, um, addressed in the opening mm. of the book, but it just speaks about, um, what like why marriage is a union that is so linked to like like uh we we link it to inherent value when in reality Mm -hmm. for many many years it was to do with financial um financial gain and like when love gets involved into that like what the expectations are when you're putting it on a partner of like Mm. supplying not only this all these things that were normally broken up among many different people in someone's life are now you're supposed to find this one soulmate and I'm not going through a breakup I'm not thinking about (laughs) relationships right now I've actively been like to people who are like hot and nice and funny who have asked me out I've been like I have depression because my dad died I'm not doing this I'm so sorry for your loss DJ I'm so um, sorry to hear that thank you yeah I feel I mean my thing is I talk about it so casually because it's just my life but I do Mm -hmm. appreciate it thank you Mm -hmm. that um um I'm not like in it right now I feel Mm -hmm. like I normally read books on this stuff when I'm like in it I'm having you know I'm reading like Cheryl Strayed being like I'm gonna survive you know shit like (laughs) this yeah but um it is just very interesting it's very dense the the vernacular 
is very academic but it's not mm. in a purposeful like inaccessible way the words are very are picked with purpose it's a lean mm. book it's very small it's like very uh short but um it is quite good it's very interesting so i would encourage anybody who's kind of interested in capitalism and you know the fall of it and romance to to check it out okay i'm gonna i i love that i'm going to i'm gonna i'm gonna follow all of these recommendations and i'm <laughs> saying that genuinely people sometimes think i'm sarcastic when i'm speaking genuinely i'm serious um okay my last question for you we're gonna play Mary fuck kill love it and it's gonna be improv stand up and sketch <laughs> <laughs> Okay, for sure, kill stand-up. Like, being <laughs> Just... involved in stand-up. I've fucked stand-ups. I've been in relationships <laughs> with stand-ups. Rather not, thanks. You haven't killed them yet, so we're going to go that route. You <laughs> yeah, fucked yeah. them, and you've been in a relationship. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah, and you wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but yes, okay, so definitely kill stand-up, which I think... I'd say I have to marry improv because it's been mm. in my life the longest and it's the most fun and stupid. But I don't know if I actually really want to fuck sketch because <laughs> like yeah. s- maybe solo sketch. I would fuck solo sketch. Fuck solo sure. sketch. Yes. yes. Totally. Yes. Just an orgy uh, of all those characters. Yeah. Yeah. Little green M&M. Like, yeah. Because yeah, the reason why I'm like I don't want to fuck sketch mm-hmm. in general is because some sketch just fucking drags on and i'm like mm. i'm not don't want to be doing that sexually but uh <laughs> yeah. solo character sketch it's like fire in the pan baby yes. we're going it's non-stop uh so yes that's my answer I what about that. you have, have you answered this before already i didn't know I, did I never okay, no i, I usually know. i usually choose like different questions at the end for every guest mm. i did do mary fuck kill for one other person but it wasn't improv stand up and sketch um mm. So what about you? I would, oh God, I have such a tumultuous relationship with sketch, truly like that. And it's sort of turned during COVID, but forever I was like, I don't want to do sketch. I don't want to write sketch. I have no interest. I want to act in sketch, but never write it. And that was for sure an insecurity thing. Uh, (laughs) So I think I would actually, I think I would uh, fuck improv because I just, I love the shit out of it. So I think I would fuck it. I don't know what that yeah. says about me. Um, I would also kill stand up because I feel like I can get that fulfillment from improv and sketch. And the, mm. yeah. And, and for me, and then I think I would marry sketch because it's, this sounds weird. I don't know what this says about me in relationships, but it's the thing that scares me the most. It's the thing that I'm drawn to. It's the thing that I would love to do. I think it would mm. like give me the most growth as a person. So I'm gonna mm-hmm. marry, I'm gonna marry it. And I'm gonna... you love a spooky partner. It I scares love. me. I'm scared. I'm horrified. <laughs> and then I'm I thinking of it. my partner and he's like the most like stable, consistent, reliable, <laughs> wonderful human being who does push me to grow as a person. So there you go. There, there we go. go. There we go. Thanks for asking me, DJ. That's so kind of you as a as yeah, a of guest. Course. I wanted to, to know. Back. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this today. Like, I can't tell you. It was it was such a fucking treat, seriously, to get to sit down well, and chat you. with you. It wasn't a treat to drink the bud. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, the that butt was is also a treat. Fucking trash. Sorry. <laughs> really. Genuinely sorry for that. I actually like I'm maybe because it's just, I'm enjoying the company. I'm I'm enjoying it more than we're, <laughs> than we're joking about. I feel like I have to be true and be like, no, I'll drink the rest of it after this. Um, but thank you so much for being here with me today, and I can't wait to see your animated series with the dragon. <laughs> thank you. One and day very soon. Thank you so much for having me. What a oh. what a treat.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. If you liked what you heard, please help me out by leaving a rating or a comment on your Apple podcast app or on YouTube or wherever you might be listening from. And if you're like me and you have an awful memory or you just don't want to have to remember when the next episode comes out, hit that subscribe button and the newest episode will automatically download for you. Just like magic. I love it. (laughs) You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Liquid Courage Podcast and on Twitter at Liquid C Podcast. And if you're still listening, I want to remind you that a pandemic is still taking place. And I don't say that to be a buzzkill or to scare you, but to ask you to please, please continue or start wearing your mask when you're out of your house and around other people. We should be treating people how we want to be treated. And if you want to be safe and healthy, respect the health and safety of the people around you. Please. Thanks again for listening. It means the world to me. Stay safe and take care. Thank you.